me today, I have Mr. Jerry Me. What's going on, Jerry? Oh, not much. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And uh, also, we have a, a guest on today, Jerry. Oh, really? Yes, we have our, our lands expert on today, uh, Blake Sanford. What's going on, Blake? How you guys doing? I'm doing well. You know what I you know what I did was, so I knew we were doing lands today, and uh, I, I studied up. I did a lot of studying. I found out all about volcanoes and hills and valleys and plains and peninsulas, capes, isthmus. Uh, so I think I'm I think I'm ready to go today. I did a lot of homework, and uh, I think we're good. So I'm ready to, ready to do a little bit of a uh, fourth grade geography today. That's that's good. You got to know your real estate. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You ready to go, Jerry? Oh, I'm so ready. <laughs> I didn't bring my fourth grade geology book though. <laughs> what do you do? You mean I do you mean I studied the wrong thing? Maybe, maybe. Oh God. It, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. No one will notice you're making a fool of yourself. It's cool. Don't worry. Oh boy. All right. Well, well. Listen. Let's let's let Blake. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, kind of your history with the game. What decks you play. And uh, while you do that, I'm gonna go on the source real quick and try to do a, a little a little study session. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. I mean, like five minutes is enough to jam in all of lands, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um. Yeah, so I'm 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 Blake. Um, I play primarily lands. Uh, I, I dabble in other decks, including Shardless Bug. Um, I uh, I really like lands in particular. Shardless does a little bit of what I want, which is to um, to draw lots of cards and play lots of spells because I like dirtling. But um, <laughs> but I do I do enjoy um, I do enjoy lands most of all, and basically any format I play outside of Legacy, I'm just trying to recreate the experience I have playing lands and legacy. So it's, it's really what I live for. <clears throat> Hell yeah. And, uh, you're also pretty well beloved in the, uh, local community. I, you know, when we were talking about having a lands deck, uh, just the outpouring on the Facebook group for, uh, for people asking for you to come on. So, uh, apparently you like, uh, you know, teaching people in the area kind of how to interact with the deck because lands is not a very easy deck to interact with in the grand scheme of things. There's a, there's a lot of weird ins and outs and I, I sort of forget sometimes because I, I take it all for granted. I've learned a lot of it. And once, once you know all, all of it, it's not the end of the world, but there's a lot of sort of little weird things that people sort of don't see through, um, and I, I again, Lanza is, is my is my soulmate. Lanza is kind of like my favorite thing. So <laughs> in the world, <laughs> basically. So I, I I like I like talking about it any chance I can get. So uh, I I usually just can't shut up about it. So that's why people people know me as talking about it. <laughs> you're gonna sit down and you're gonna learn about lands and you're gonna like it. <laughs> luckily they luckily they do. Luckily they do. <laughs> luckily they do. <laughs> yeah, no uh so I guess like let's just dive into it. Um so I pulled up a list here. In fact it's it's your list, Blake. Uh and I see uh based on the name there are thirty five lands on the deck. In the deck. Wow. <laughs> Correct. That is that is true. So break down what is, you know, the end goal for someone who has never seen lands played before. Uh, what are you trying to do in the game and how do you win the game? Yeah. So so lands is a is a sort of a peculiar archetype that, that doesn't come up too often, which is um, combo prison. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so, you know, there there are prison decks, there are combo decks and y- you'll find things that that sort of straddle the line. But this is this is really one of them. Particularly the the basic red green list that I'm running with um, 
can 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 feel like a combo deck sometimes. Sometimes you assemble the combo combo between Dark Depths and Thespian Stage and make a Merit Lage and you kill people. And other times you you know relieve people of all their permanents using Wasteland and Ghost Quarter and Tabernacle. Um, so I, I like I like playing both of those games. I like you know restricting what my opponent can do as much as possible. Uh, but when it's all said and done, it's nice to have something like Dark Depths to uh, to hurry up and close a game. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have your list pulled up here from the Complex Legacy 1K uh, that was last week up in Maine, uh, where, Blake, you took down uh, second place. Congrats. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. So, um, you know, you already kind of mentioned the Dark Depths Thespian Stage combo. Right. Uh, you know, you got four of those each. Uh, you know, what else makes lands lands? So as I, as I started to talk about... Um, the the Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale is really um, kind of one of the most important cards for this deck. I had someone ask me last weekend if it's possible to build the deck without the card because it's it's really kind of a limiting factor for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, based the, on its four digit price tag. <laughs> the one card makes up fifty percent of the deck's value, <laughs> uh, more or less. I mean, it's it's one of the most expensive decks in Legacy, but that's that's really the bulk of it. Um, so the uh, the reason that this deck is, is so sort of hinged on Tabernacle is because you can do all these things. You can wasteland people, you can ghost quarter people, you can sort of chip away at their resources, but at the end of the day, you need something like Tabernacle to make it all count for something. Otherwise, you're going to lose to, you know, Delver of Secrets or Tarmogoy for what have you, because any old threat is going to is gonna eventually go wide enough and, and get you. Um, but being able to tutor out Tabernacle... And put someone on zero lands lets you clear their board and lets you sort of have your way with them, basically. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned tutoring out Tabernacle, which is important since it's a right. one of, and you're a red green deck, so you're not using brainstorms and ponders to find your pieces. Correct. Um, how do you get that Tabernacle when you need it? Yeah, so this this deck has um, a lot more deck manipulation than a lot of uh, a lot of blue decks do because I have effectively eight tutors in this in the main deck. Um, Four crop rotations um, allow me to sack, you know, extra taigas or uh, a stray forest that I might not need to go get uh, the silver bullet lands like Tabernacle or Bajukabog or Vasaju who shelters all, those kind of things. Um, so crop rotation also being an instant is pretty huge. Um, you can get in sort of stack wars with miracles or in the mirror where you really want to... Um, to sort of take people by surprise and, and, and get a combo piece or get a tabernacle or what have you. Um, and you also have Gambles, and obviously Gambles is a little bit less of a reliable tutor um, because of the fact that you have to discard a card at random after searching. <laughs> but it's also um, the most fun card in the deck. My most memorable lands moments usually involve a Gamble. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've made some uh, what we call honest gambles sometimes, and <laughs> a, lot of times they, a lot of times they don't pay off and I discard the card, but sometimes it, it works out and I win the game. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the part of the reason Gamble is so good, especially in, um, in Game 1s, is because your deck plays from the graveyard, sort of by, by and large. So I can, I can go gamble for a life from the loam, discard it, but be safe enough to, to just redredge it the next turn so I haven't really lost anything. Or once I have Life from Loam, I can go get a land, and if I discard it, I can get it all back. 
Um, so the discard clause on Gamble is really kind of negligible a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's some exceptions, like going to get the exploration you need to really kind of go off, or going and getting sideboard cards, but that's that's kind of another story. Yeah, there's also the times when your land's opponent does the the gamble that's really just an entomb, where it's they draw the card for the turn, they cast gamble. It's like okay, <laughs> put that uh put that life from the loam in the graveyard. Yeah, I will frequently entomb life from loam or or punishing fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so so you mentioned crop rotation, right? Uh, from an outsider's perspective, I view crop rotation as one of the most disgusting cards that the uh, the deck has. Um, I remember the first time I ever saw lands, I learned the hard lesson. This was like when I first started playing Legacy, playing against a lands opponent, and I go to just like wasteland his taiga. And he's like, okay, crop rotation. And I'm just like, oh, I have never had <laughs> a wasteland countered in that way before. I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> that was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, it's it's nice when you can turn that normally sort of two-for-one yourself card into a one-for-one where you make your opponent look a little silly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's the moral victory of it, too, right? Yeah. It <laughs> is. That's really what we're yeah. talking about. It's like, ah, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point for people who playing against lands. If your opponent has a green mana up, uh, be very wary about destroying their lands. <laughs> a lot, Especially, like, games two and three, people will board in various land destruction, uh, and not expect uh, a like a crop rotation to to blow them out of the water. Yeah. So uh, you also have the uh, the punishing fire combo in the deck. It, it I feel lands is a deck of combos. You have so many like cards that match up well with each other. Mm-hmm. Um. So punishing fire and grove of the burn willows plays very well with uh with uh, life from the loam as well. Right. It's it's it really is synergy of the deck. I mean that's that's part of why I really like it. They're um, you know, I, 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 I think the, the combo nature of it, the Dark Depths Thespian stage nature of it is a little overhyped, but all of the little moving parts of this deck really work well together, and it's, it's what I really enjoy about the deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really did love that interaction. So I, I played uh, the Punishing Fire Thing in the Ice, and that had Life in the Loam, Punishing Fire, uh, Grove of the Burn Willows. And just when you assemble that, it just feels like so satisfying. <laughs> it's like it's like solving the Rubik's cube. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a lot of people can do. Mm-hmm. So so the Punishing Fire, you know that what what is that answer? What what decks are you afraid of that you're using Punishing Fire to answer? Um, I don't even know if it's necessarily like for a particular matchup. I would say it's mm-hmm. it's just sort of a a catch-all tool. Um, you know, we don't have Abrupt Decays or Lightning Bolts or Swords in the main deck, so, uh, you know, we can't necessarily deal with opposing enchantments or artifacts in game one, but Punishing Fire lets us deal with the rest of it, namely creatures and, and planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of creatures, I can, I can Maze of Ith, I can Tabernacle, I can Glacial Chasm, um, but really, uh, you know, if someone sticks a Jace the Mind Sculptor, you know, I, I need to punishing fire it a few times, or that will just take over the game, and we'll get to ultimate, and I might not get to make a twenty twenty. Um, so yeah, punishing fire is is really there as a as a sort of a cleanup crew and uh, a first defense before I have to go get any sort of emergency buttons with crop rotation. Gotcha. So you'll you'll kind of use that to mow down. So say you're playing against a deck like uh, blue red delver. 
Uh, instead of just kind of going after the tabernacle as soon as possible, you may, you know, try and bait him out a bit, try and com- commit a few more creatures to the board, but just use the punishing fire to uh, kind of stem the bleeding. Right. And and, and Corporation is always a, a card sort of saved for the last minute because, you know, it, it could help you assemble the combo and just win right there. So if you have to use it for something else, you will. But if you can save it, uh, theoretically, it gains in value the more it sort of sticks around until the ideal moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Punishing Fire is really there for that. Um, it can stop people from, you know, landing young Pyromancer to go wide, uh, from taking over my graveyard with Deathrite Shaman. Um, you know, a lot of matchups I, I will mulligan until I find Punishing Fire or Molten Vortex to make sure I can deal with Deathrite Shaman, because I sometimes that guy just wins the game by himself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So uh, I seem to remember there being some discussion among uh, lands players when Molten Vortex was first spoiled. Um, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure there are still lands players who use the alternative to Molten Vortex. Uh, so, is it Seismic Assault? Yeah, that's the other one. That's red, red, red. Mm-hmm. So Molten Vortex is one red, and it's an enchantment with pay one red, discard a land card. Molten Vortex deals two damage to target creature or player. Seismic Assault is an enchantment that's red, 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 and it just has discard a land card to deal two damage to target creature or player. So I guess the argument is, you know, do you pay more up front or you do pay more as you go? And it looks like you kind of like the uh, the structured pay, uh, payment plan. Yeah, it's it's really about more than that. Um, the thing for me, I you know, I've seen people do Seismic Assault before. Um, I've seen it in the sideboard. I've seen it in the main deck. Um I, I do not like it. Uh, when I very first started playing this deck, um, I played Seismic Assault as a two of in the sideboard, and um, I I brought it in ceaselessly, and I pretty much never got to cast it because triple red is really difficult to get to in this deck sometimes. Um, mm. Even even back when I had three Tigas in my deck, so that I could tutor out three green sources easily or three red sources easily. It, it, it wouldn't be enough. Um, it would either just be too late, or I would not get to it, or I'd be missing something. Um, it, it, it's just not reliable to get to red, red, red. Otherwise, I would appreciate the fact that I don't have to, you know, pay the upkeep every turn by paying a red every time. But I would still be more able, willing to do that than than try to try to get three mountains on the board at the same time. Right, because at that point, you know, Seismic Assault plus, plus Life from the Loam just turns Life from the Loam into one green, deals six damage. Yeah, which is which is a fantastic pipe dream. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you could ever do it, it would be great. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes you bring it in against, against Blood Moon decks and you get to get people. Uh, <laughs> because suddenly you just have this perfect mana base and you just mow their creatures down and then go for their dome, but... Um, Molten Vortex can do that just as well. It's just a little less flashy and a little more reliable. Gotcha. <clears throat> Going for that Honda Civic over that Lamborghini. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You're more useful, Honda. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me let me also get into one more thing on this. The um the Punishing Fire Vortex split is also something kind of recent. Um, Punishing Fire is one of the, one of the better cards in the deck and. Um, up until recently, I was always on four Punishing Fire and wouldn't really add anything to replace those. Um, but the recent uh, use of um, Sanctum Prelate has made it so that lands players have to diversify their answers. 
Um, because if someone plays a Sanctum Prelate and names two, um, you know, while playing Death and Taxes, Lance's is sort of up shit's creek. Um, there's, there's not a lot we can do to, to pull out of it when we can't cast Life from Lum or Punishing Fire. Mm-hmm. So Molten Vortex is kind of your silver bullet in that scenario. Yeah, it's, it's just another way to sort of draw out of it. And the, the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but the Kozilek's return on the sideboard is for the same thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. Uh, awesome. So another change I've noticed recently with the lands list is uh, the switching of Rashad and Port for Ghost Quarter. Yeah, so that that was an interesting discussion. I was rather shocked when I first saw it and had to sort of try it for myself for a while before I was convinced. But um, basically what that ends up doing is um, instead of the sort of tempo gain and, and early disruption that Rishon Import provides, uh, Ghost Quarter gives you a more inevitability. Um, and right now, the, the, the meta has sort of arrived at a point where um, there's a lot of sort of fair-on-fair battles, and for that, you really want to be able to Ghost Quarter someone out of the game uh, over a, a longer period of time. Um, there are just a handful of matchups where I, I miss uh, Port, uh, things like Storm and Sneak and Show, where I have to sort of disrupt early and aggressively, mm-hmm. uh, or else I or else I die. Um, but uh, despite that, I, I have seen a lot of matchups um, either go from favorable to more favorable, or you know, medium to slightly favorable, that sort of thing, um, because I can take someone off of all of their mana sources and then start strip mining them, which is pretty pretty huge when you're running tabernacle yeah and sometimes you just live the dream where you play like bug delver and they're yeah. just straight up strip mines <laughs> right right having having eight wastelands against the deck that dies to wasteland tabernacle is is pretty <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> which seems pretty well positioned given that it looks like a uh, true name bug is uh one of the most popular decks in the format right now yeah, I I, 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 th- I think they run like one or two basics, but it's not many. They run a, a forest and an island. I mm. uh, I played against it last weekend. Um, he, he was uh, had his head in, had his head in his hands, and he was pretty miserable the whole match. He was a really nice guy, but he did not want to face lands that weekend. Uh, under- <laughs> understandably, um, I uh, he went for you know noble hierarch on turn one. And then I wastelanded him, and then turn two played two more mana dorks, and I went and got Tabernacle, and he basically had to tap all of his mana every turn just to keep his board alive. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, so that's interesting. I I feel that's a very risky move. If my opponent's on the play and they go, like, land Deathrite Shaman or land Noble Hierarch, I'm very tempted to waste that land, but I know that's the wrong play because he just has this mana dork to keep him accelerating, and I've sent myself back a land myself. But with lands, it doesn't seem like that's much of an issue. Right. The difference. The difference is I have I have exploration, and so I can, you know, in that in that particular scenario, I left that out. But what I did was, you know, I played forest exploration and then the wasteland, um, and that way I can keep. Uh, advancing my mana while also disrupting my opponent's mana, mm-hmm. uh, which is really the game plan of this deck and really why you have cards like Exploration and Mana Bond. Right. I remember that being the hinge of the match whenever I was playing my uh, four-color loam list. 
Um, because the, you know, the punishing aggro four color loan list is very similar to the lands deck. It's just more creature heavy. And whenever I played the matchup, it always felt like it fell on if the lands player had exploration or not. Uh, and just being able to make that extra land drop a turn just allows you to, you know, keep pace and outstrip your opponent. Yeah. And that's, you know, and people, people will bring in life from loam against me sometimes to try to sort of survive the waste lock, but when I have exploration going with life from loam um, and wasteland and ghost quarter, you know I'm 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 going to get ahead. I'm going to put you off of your lands, regardless of how many lands you want to draw every turn with life from loam. Um, so yeah, it's it's really you know one of one of the rules of mulliganing with this deck is if you can afford to mulligan to acceleration, you you off, often should, um, because otherwise this deck is just sort of a a pile of weird clunky lands. Um, if you're not you know getting out ahead of people and, 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 and putting more lands into play than they can handle. <clears throat> so so that's interesting. So you would mull to the exploration or, you know, what are you saying are is your mull to targets? There's a so that's an interesting question that I've that I've asked a number of times and the way I explain it is um, you have to have a plan is is how I usually put it. Um, I've I've kept a, a, a vast array of hands um, but the, the deciding factor between, you know, one medium hand and another medium hand would be having a Mox Diamond or having an Exploration or having a, uh, um, a Mana Bond. Uh, if I have one of those things, I'm more likely to keep it than without. Um, you know, I've, I've won games with this deck before where I've kept, you know, seven landers and not casted any spells and won the game, but those are really few and far between. So, uh, yeah, you have to, you have to mulligan the ex- acceleration because, your engine is only as good as, as, you know, the speed of it. You know, someone can, can stick a Delver, and if you're just trying to slowly assemble the Dark Depths combo, they could find a Wasteland before you can, you know, make it on turn four casually. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, sorry, I got a little off topic. What I mean to say by have a plan is, is that you basically have to look at all the separate elements and think about what a hand can do. So, um, you know, a hand might have Grove, Grove of the Burn Willows and Punishing Fire, uh, but might not have Exploration. And you have to think to yourself, you know, if you know the matchup, um, is is a turn two Punishing Fire going to be fast enough? Uh, are they going to be able to get out from under that? Um, or is it not going to affect them at all? Things like that. And so, basically, if, if a hand that I see can sort of keep up with the pace of... of uh, you know, a certain percentage of, of legacy decks that I expect to see, then I will keep it. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back. Uh, it's it's sort of hard to get into without showing you some sample hands, but uh, you, you have to just look at it and, and, and quickly analyze whether or not uh, it's prepared to deal with a number of, of situations, basically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Good, the, awesome. The easiest, the easiest to keep are, are, you know, turn two to turn three Dark Depths, Thespian Stage combos. And crop rotation helps you put those together and helps you sort of sneak wins in. But um, short of that, yeah, there's sort of some nuance. And, um, you know, I've mulled down to five and to four and to even three before um, because, you know, the right lands hand can recover from virtually any mulligan. Um, I had an event once where I was mulling to five and my opponent was sort of joking with me that I, that I had already lost the game by mulling to five. And I, I, I told him, I'm like, no, 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 this deck mulligans well, it's it's fine. Watch, my hand's going to be Mox Diamond, Mox Diamond, Land, Land, Life from Loam. <laughs> so, 
and so, the two lands are dark depths and thespian stage. <laughs> so, so no, this 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 really this really happened though. So I, I I shuffled up and I presented and you know he shuffled for a while. No no shady things happened and I flipped over the top five cards of my deck and they were Mox Diamond Mox Diamond Land Land Life Loam. <laughs> and so I just I just basically dumped my hand on the on the you know on the table game turn one and passed. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Mox Diamond, I love those insane starts with. It's so, so satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I got to have uh, turn one uh, Storm Count 4 a couple times uh, last weekend, which was a, always a good time. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so this is kind of going back in the day. This was This is a long time ago. I think even before Thespian Stage was ever printed... Lands was not the uh, you know illustrious deck that it is today. Some some would even say it was kind of you know tier two, tier three. Um, did you play the deck back in those days? I, I didn't. Um, I uh, am am sort of glad that I didn't. Uh, <laughs> that that deck though, that deck back in the day when it was you know called forty two, forty three lands. Um, that really was what inspired me to. Uh, to try to get into legacy to begin with, and and even and even just to 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 like get into construction and tournament magic in general. That was um, looking at those lists uh, uh, really kind of inspired me to figure all this out and and and, and become a more competitive player. Mm-hmm. Um, originally back in um, what was it World Wake when Treasure Hunt was printed, um, I was determined to play a deck with Treasure Hunt because I love drawing cards and I. I googled it, and somebody somewhere played Treasure Hunt back when it was 42 lands because they wanted to live that that fucking dream. <laughs> and and what, is, what does Treasure Hunt do? Treasure Hunt is one in a blue for a sorcery, and it says reveal cards on the top of your deck until you reveal a non-land card, <laughs> and then draw all cards revealed this way. <laughs> so, you know, most of the time you just, like, you screw up and you draw one card off of it, but sometimes you get to draw 20 cards with Mana Bond in play, and you just get to go go crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, somebody somebody somewhere saw it and was like, I have to do this. And then I saw it and was like, all right, I have to play that deck. I need to play a deck that can, you know, draw a million cards and dump them into play at this, on the same turn. <laughs> so I actually brought up an old school list. So this is 42 Land by Chris Walterek. Came in seventh place at Star City Games on October 11th, 2009. So uh, about six years ago, or almost seven. Yeah, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, so we got two Tabernacle of the Pendrel Vale. I guess they were cheaper back then. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think they actually were. I think they were still expensive, but they were only like $200 back then. <laughs> yeah, probably. But also I think like... Tropical Islands were like 80. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two Wooded Foothills, two Windswept Teeth, four Wastelands, three Tropical Islands, two Treetop Village. Love this card. <laughs> it's a land enters the battlefield tapped. It can tap for a green or for one and a green. It becomes a 3-3 three, three green ape creature with trample until end of turn. <laughs> uh, four Tranquil Thicket. That's the green cycle land. Three Taiga, two Savannah, four Rashadin Port, four Mishra's Factory, four Mazeveth, uh, two Barbarian Ring, which is the land taps for a red mana and it deals one damage to you. And when you have Threshold, you can sacrifice it to deal two damage to target creature or player. Um, 
Then for the spells, it's got four Mox Diamond, four Exploration, four Mana Bond, which is one green enchantment. During your discard phase, you can choose to play all land cards from your hand into play if you do discard the rest of your hand. Uh, three Intuition, three Gamble, and four Life from the Loam. <laughs> this is a deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Part part of the reason I didn't get into I'm, I'm glad that I didn't get into that deck back in the days because a lot of the versions were three to four colors and required you to have a huge pile of dual lands to build. Uh, so the tabernacle was sort of you know only part of the huge expense of that deck back way back when. Right, right. You know, three tropical islands does not come cheap. Yeah. Uh, it also seems like this this win condition is a lot less impressive than merit lage. <laughs> it is. It is. They. There's a lot of, I mean, there's an awful lot of tools missing from that deck that I, I sort of forgot that they ever had to do without, because even even before Thespian stage, they eventually got through Zendikar block, which you know, being a land-based set, it was pretty pretty big for this deck. Um, Punishing Fire obviously was a big deal, but also uh, Creeping Tar Pit mm-hmm. um, was was one of the big sort of innovations for that deck. They started playing black more consistently and. Uh, would would lock down the the board with um with uh, ensnaring bridge um and then dredge life from loam cast life from loam with three targets animate creeping tarpet attack with creeping tarpet through their opponent's huge board of creatures and then ravens crime themselves down to zero cards in hand again <laughs> and then pass and then just rinse and repeat that like seven more times. <laughs> Uh, still not the 2020, but better, better. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was, that was a step in the right direction, but yeah, that deck is, uh, you know, and way back in the day they had, um, Nantuko Monastery. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, that brings back memories. Uh, let me pull it up so I get the, uh, the actual wording, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a colorless land that has threshold. It's the green green white white one, right? Yeah. Threshold pay a green and a white. It becomes a four four. I think it was like insect monk. Yeah, with, that's no with, with vigilance. <laughs> uh, close, close. I just pulled it out. I couldn't remember. It was it's first strike. A four okay. four first striker is not anything to sneeze at. <laughs> no, it's it's not. It's not. So they had they had that and um and barbarian ring. So they definitely had to have threshold on to you know participate in Magic the Gathering. But um yeah, that was that was the deck's plan. Those two cards usually. Mm-hmm. Wow. So is this kind of a uh, a direct ancestor of blue lands? We don't really see blue lands around that often, but I hear it still exists. Uh, you're talking about red, blue, green lands? Yeah, rug lands, blue lands. Yeah, so um, I, I jokingly like to call that deck old man lands um, <laughs> because it, 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 does, it does play more like the old, you know, 42, 43 land decks of, of yore. Um, which you know is 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 great for nostalgia and for hardcore prison players. Um, but what ends up happening, I I have found, is that you have to just make room for all of these extra moving parts, and you have to cut things like dark copies of Dark Depths and copies of Thespian Stage, um, and like uh, just do 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 things in sort of cut corners where I'm not willing to cut them. I think that the things that Red Greenlands does well are are good. And, you know, you can't get out of certain situations. You don't have the answer to everything, but sometimes that's just the way the legacy is, and you have to move on and, and figure it out. 
either in the sideboard or just admit that that matchup is a is a is a loss. Um, you know, it, it, it's nice to get extra tools. You get things like engineer explosives uh, and academy ruins from uh, red, blue, green lands, um, so you can do sort of more interesting workarounds, and you can answer most permanents. Um, but again, it, it just ends up being sort of a more diluted version um, of Red Greenlands, and you don't combo as consistently. Instead, you have to consistently lock down all of their resources, which is a, a, a pretty tall order even for a, a pretty reasonable engine like Lands. So Rug Lands is for the player who wants to control the game but not necessarily win the game. Yeah, you you have to be prepared to go to time. Uh, it it plays yeah, it plays much more 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 like the old version where, you know, it's more likely that your opponent's going to be in the chokehold, um, but not as reliable that you're going to finish the friggin' game in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. And there's there's just there's just a lot of matchups where, you know, even though red blue green can answer all the permanents, red blue green also can't answer, um, you know, a, a combo that that's that's faster than it. Um, whereas you can, you can sometimes afford to race certain decks. Um, you know, even, even my worst matchup sometimes against sneak and show, uh, I'll make a turn two twenty twenty, and they, they might not be able to do anything in time. Uh, you have done that against me in the, in the past. <laughs> that has happened. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is true. <laughs> yeah. I, I like playing, uh, lands with sneak and show because I'm favored and I like being on top, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is it is kind of a a fun matchup where uh y- y- it's kind of like who's going to blink first who's going to make the big scary monster and win the game right uh so yeah so i guess that kind of that leads into so kind of going maybe drawing on kind of your experience at the 1k um you know what are kind of your favorable matchups yeah so i saw a number of them this weekend i, I was a little bit fortunate in that sense um uh, first I played against, um, uh, what was it? The, um, the bug Leovold deck. Um, I don't know if we already talked about that. Um, but that's a, that's a pretty good matchup for me. Um, they've got only two basics. Uh, they rely heavily on mana dorks. Um, and they, they try to cast a lot of three and four mana cards. Um, so I aggressively went for, um, Tabernacle. After my opponent put a lot of uh, of the little mana dorks in play to make them basically tap out every turn just to keep their board alive, and then eventually they they got enough mana to play um, uh, True Name Nemesis, which is a which is a huge problem for my deck. But I had already ghost coded them a few times, and they were out of basics. So I um, you know I took one more turn and I ghost coded their last two lands and uh, passed turn so that they could empty their whole board. Um, so, you know, this deck can answer a lot of things, including True Name Nemesis via Tabernacle and, and Ghost Quarter. <laughs> um, that's really kind of the engine that, that gets us there. Um, uh, that kind of just reminded me, how often do you find yourself getting the gotcha on your opponent, where your opponent just forgets the upkeep cost of Tabernacle? Not not super often. You know, it'll happen at, at little local events sometimes, um, and I'll, I'll let it slide. It'll happen occasionally, like... Once every couple matches at a at a at a big event, but yeah, it's 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 pretty rare. Um, I I don't usually try to like sneak it or cover it up with anything. Uh, <laughs> Just lay your hand over the card. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't try to uh, you know sneak attack it or anything. Um, <laughs> hey hey, was that dig? <laughs> no, 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tab- Tabernacle, mostly people people remember it. There there was a game one time where somebody was playing um, Omnitel back when that was uh, the bane of everyone's existence. And my, my only chance was him just forgetting his Tabernacle trigger. And he did all these things and all this fancy hand-waving and then casted an Emmercool, passed, and went to his next turn and friggin' forgot the trigger. And so I was like, I will... I will. He took an extra turn. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll take my 1% where I can get it at a big event like this, and he, yep. you know, I won the game, but I, I had no business winning that game. <laughs> <laughs> so, also a good trick for anyone at home who hasn't learned this yet is take out a die and put it on top of your deck if your opponent has an upkeep effect. Yep. Uh, because that way, before you could even draw a card, and drawing a card signals that your upkeep is over, um, you have to remove the die. And you get to say to yourself, why the hell is this die sitting <laughs> yeah. on top of the deck? <laughs> that is your reminder, your little memento, to remember, oh, I have an upkeep effect, and I should be doing something before I draw this card. Yeah, it's it's Magic's version of wrapping a string around your finger. It's a it's a it's a good practice. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that trick I learned back in the day, and it's probably one of the most useful t- tips I've ever gotten about playing Magic. So um, good matchups. If we're still if we're still on that. Um, so the 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 Bug Leavel deck is pretty good for me. Um, Charlotte's Bug is is uh, mostly in my favor. It's not horrendously in my favor, but it's a deck that plays a lot of creatures and plays a lot of non-basics, so it's just sort of inherently in my deck's wheelhouse. Um, uh, Infect. Infect is one of those matchups. Infect and, and Elves both play this way, where uh, sometimes you just very, very quickly lose to them uh, because they just get a combo before you can interact with them. But if they don't win on turn one or turn two, or if you have the right interaction on turn one and turn two, or turn two uh, they lose very quickly to your grind game. Um, because Punishing Fire and Tabernacle and Maze of Ith all do a lot of work against those those decks. Um, so yeah, creature creature based decks that play a lot of non basics is really where this deck wants to be. Um, and the less sort of interaction they have, the better. Because you also have the option of Thesbian staging your own Maze of Iths. so you can potentially have you know theoretically you could have eight Maze of Iths in play. Yeah, and that's that's my favorite thing to do with Thesbian stages when. People will try to cut me off of Dark Depths or try to surgical my Dark Depths, and that just lets me have fun with all the weird things you can do with Thespian Stage. <laughs> uh, right. What would this card do if it doesn't just say win the game? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a there's a ton of tricks with Thespian Stage. I don't know if this is the time or place to... No, by about. all means, bring it up. So you can... Um, yeah, I've made... Back when I had Rishon Import, I made seven ports... Um, and refused to let my Miracles opponent cast any spells game one Um, and then like we went to time game two but I won game one just by tapping him out every turn Um, or you can um, uh, the other sort of weird thing that has come up as a a corner case is you can Thespian stage copying um, your basic forest or someone else's basic land in response to a wasteland um, because Thespian stage gains the super type of basic uh, and and the wasteland effect will will be counted on resolution. Um, so you can you can you can keep up mana and and try to bait people into wastelanding you and then and then have that gotcha moment. <clears throat> um, and then the one other thing that I like talking about is um, glacial chasm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, against a lot of decks, especially Infect, um, there was a game this weekend against Infect where I had Glacial Chasm in play uh, virtually every turn. Um, because what I would do is I would copy Glacial Chasm. So you, you can pay the upkeep for a few turns, obviously, but it gets out of hand. Uh, cumulative upkeep pay two life is, is pretty ridiculous. So what you do is if you copy it with Thespian Stage in response to the uh, upkeep trigger, you can sacrifice the original, hold on to the Thespian Stage version, dredge loam, get back the uh, original one. Um, and so if you have uh, two Thespian Stages and a Glacial Chasm, you can start looping stage and a stage and a stage and just do that once per turn um, as you as you try to find more outs. Um, or if you have uh, exploration plus glacial chasm plus thespian stage, you can do that every turn and reassemble the same board and put it back to the to square one basically every turn. Um, or uh, you know if you have any more of those moving parts, the the combo just gets better and you suddenly have land drops freed up and you start to be able to advance your board while preventing your opponent from from interacting with you, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played a game uh, at, a, at a side event. Um, I played a game against a, you know, 10-year-old kid uh, playing... Um, <laughs> playing I, I, I enjoy tormenting small children when I play Magic, but that's, <laughs> that's a different story. Um, so he was playing Burn, so what I did I was... <laughs> yeah, uh, like like any like any proper ten year old. So he uh, he was playing burn, and I uh, I got the glacier chasm lock against him, and I started looping it, and he was like groaning and moaning as 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 you would expect. Um, but you know I, I don't know whether or not he knows that he can win sort of uh, in response to um, me dropping my glacier chasm. So I'm very careful about it um, because if I try to sacrifice the glacier chasm. Um, to attack with my my merit lage, then I might just lose to you know uh, fire blast or lightning bolt or what have you, because I usually play those games pretty close to the vest. Um, because glacial chasm says, sorry, should I go through what glacial chasm says? I, I I would say just break it down, just because yeah, just because it's a pretty complicated card and how it's worded. Like I feel glacial chasm is the type of card that people knows generally what it does, but do not understand how it interacts on the stack and with things. Yeah, there, there's an awful lot of text in that card, and I've sort of already started to hint at what it what it does. But I've realized that the more you understand about that card, the is kind of important. Um, so it does a number of things. When it comes into play, you have to sacrifice a land. Um, when uh, it has cumulative upkeep, pay two life. Uh, so first turn you you pay two life, second turn you pay four life, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that's why you can't afford to keep it there for a long time. Yeah, two, um, four, six, it adds up quick. It does, it does. Um, and then it, it, it keeps going, though. The card gets more complicated. So um, all damage dealt to you is reduced to zero, uh, which includes burn spells, which includes infect creatures, etc., etc. Poison Any damage, damage. yep. Right, it all, goes to, it all goes to zero, which is super helpful. Um, it's a tutorable fog with, with crop rotation, which is huge. Um, but the very last line of text that people often forget, it says you cannot attack. So while I have Glacial Chasm in play, I cannot attack with my 2020 Merit Lage token. Um, so for that reason, against Burn, instead of trying to uh, make a 2020 um, and then go to my turn, sacrifice the Glacial Chasm and attack with my 2020, because that gives them time to, to cast instant speed burn spells, what I do instead is what I did to this 10-year-old child, which is uh, 
while establishing the Electrochasm lock, I had an extra land drop every turn that I wasn't using. Because, again, if you have Expiration, Thespian Stage, Thespian Stage, you have a Thespian Stage copy a Thespian Stage, which is already copying a Glacial Chasm, and you don't have to sacrifice a land every turn if you just loop those two repeatedly. So once you're looping oh. those... Right, so once you're looping those two repeatedly and you've done away with the drawback of sacrificing a land, your Exploration allows you to advance your board and play another land every turn. So every time I would dredge, I would get back Thespian Stage, but I'd also get back a Ghost Quarter. And then I ghost quartered every single mountain out of my burn opponent's deck. Oh, you're a monster! <laughs> the 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 sort of moments of realization were were really kind of kind of crucial. He, um, you know, at, at first he was just like, "This is really weird. Why are you, you know, why are you ghost quartering my fetch lands? Why are you ghost quartering my mountains?" He's like, this is really weird. And then he started to see it more and more, and he's like, wait a minute, are you going to try to get rid of all of my mountains? <laughs> and, then, and then once he found his last mountain, he's like, oh, God. Oh, God, that was my last one. I was like, yep, I thought so. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. He's just a boy. <laughs> so, really, yeah, the, the purest joy in life is putting people on zero mana. It's why I play this deck. Oh my god! <laughs> 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 All right, <laughs> so Burn's a good matchup. <laughs> Actually, is it? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't feel it's, that would be a good matchup. No, it's 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 sort of weird because you know sometimes we don't interact because I'll either I'll get a turn two win with a twenty twenty. Or, or they'll get, you know, a turn three or turn four burn win, standard procedure. Um, but other times it gets more complicated, and I have to play games with crop rotation and glacial chasm and, you know, wastelanding myself in response to, to price of progress, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether or not it's a good matchup. I don't particularly like it, and there's a lot of matchups I'd rather play against because I don't want to have a matchup where all my wastelands are dead. It's, like, not where I'd like to be. Um, but... It, it, it's reasonable. They can't interact with your combo, really. So if you can get it uh, and put it in their face, it's fine. <clears throat> gotcha. So uh, what about top eight of the tournament? Uh, what did you uh, play in the semifinals round? Or the... Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, Come on, Jerry. I don't, I don't know sport <laughs> brackets. I don't, I don't know. What's, what's the first round of top eight? Semifinals? That makes Quarter sense. Finals. Traditionally, yeah, you have quarterfinals, Jerry, in, in, in normal peopleville. Um, I just skip those. I go right to the semifinals. <laughs> That's called collusion, Jerry. Um, <laughs> yeah, quarter, quarterfinals. What do you normal people do in quarterfinals? <laughs> so um, myself and, and uh, Merritt El, El, El Masri, um He's a, he's another local guy that you guys I think know. Um, he and I were playing quarterfinals, and you know he often plays green white X, you know neither reliquary dot deck, um, and uh, and that that was no exception. He was on Punishing Maverick, um, and um, game two. So game game one, I, I beat him. I think I just comboed a few times before he could really get going. Um, but game two was one of the most disgusting games of Magic I've ever played. Um, so he 
I, I, my, a friend of mine took a picture of it because he was he was judging, but was just so impressed by what I had done that he had to take a picture of it. <laughs> when impressed the judge the takes a picture of your match, <laughs> yeah. So, um, my friends and I have been trying out Crucible of Worlds on the sideboard. Um, so I brought it in this matchup, thinking it would sort of help me, help protect me from uh, surgical extraction and death shaman and such. So, um, what I ended up doing though is I had Crucible going um, and Exploration going and Wasteland going. Uh, he was able to Bajuka bog me once to stop my first Wasteland, but then I found another one with Crop Rotation uh, so I could Wasteland two of his lands every turn. Um, so he had no he, he didn't have any non-basic at the time, so I put him on zero lands. And then eventually, um, because of the fact that Crucible Worlds doesn't stop me from drawing cards like Life from Lumewood, I found myself in the very rare position of drawing exploration, 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 exploration. So I had four explorations in play um, by about turn five. Um, so <coughs> I, um, what I had to do eventually is once I wasted all of his all of his non-basics, he started finding basics. Um, and if he actually found a basic planes and answered my Merit Lage token once. So I said, all right, fine, you know, if we're going to play this game, we'll play this game. So uh, I knew I had to find Ghost Quarter. So I played Horizon Canopy, um, and Horizon Canopy with four land drops is pretty good. Um, <laughs> Draw all the cards. The only way that Horizon Canopy and four land drops gets any better is when you're also dredging Life from Loam. So I would just cast Life from Loam with zero targets because I already had seven lands in my hand, um, and then dredge it just to basically draw, effectively draw three lands. Um, and then I would do that four times a turn. So I, so God I ended up, damn. <laughs> yeah. So, so in pretty quick time, I ended up milling two thirds of my library, finally finding ghost quarter. And then I ghost quarter both of his basics. And at that point he said, all right, we're, we're, we're done and, and, and picked it up and cleaned it up. Um, but yeah, having, having four explorations crucible in play was, was pretty disgusting. <clears throat> yeah. That sounds like that is actual literal magical Christmas land. Like, that is what people describe. This deck would be awesome if I could do this. You did yeah. it. Like, you did it. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty gross. It's pretty gross. <laughs> All right. So we got out of this thing people call the quarterfinals. What about what about the semifinals? <laughs> uh, semifinals was, was pretty uneventful, unfortunately. I um, I played against um, a guy named Philip. He was a pretty, pretty nice guy, but he was on Manalus Dredge. Uh, I like that about, modifier. Can we talk about this top eight though? This top eight was pretty awesome. Before we get into it, like yeah, you show Punishing Maverick. There was a pair of bur- uh, pair of miracles, a burn deck, Manalus Dredge, uh, Dark Depths, uh, you know, Hex Mage Depths, and Lands. That's pretty awesome. Nice diverse and, top eight. It was it was very diverse, and it was cool to see a burn player and a Manalus Dredge player because those are those are two decks that are sort of um, you know trash talked a lot. Yeah, as as sort of being you know the X three bracket and whatnot, okay. but. Um, they, I, I talked to both of them. They were both pretty nice guys, and it, it sounded like you know they're competent legacy players who believe that they were making a, a, a quality metagame call, and it, it seemed like they were right. I mean, there was a lot of, I guess there was a lot of sort of fair, uninteractive decks that lose to the deck that says, you know, I'm not going to allow you to interact with me. I'm just going to beat you like by turn four or turn five consistently, um, and that's sort of what those two was what those two decks do. Um, so. In any case, uh, the match against Minimalist Dredge is pretty unexciting because, uh, by and large, any of the Dredge variants are are pretty hosed by by lands. Um, 
particularly if you have Bajukabog main deck, like I have it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I ended up doing was when I when I knew he was on Manalist Dredge, uh, you know, as soon as he said I'll be on the draw, even though he had choice to be on the play, <laughs> uh, I I mulliganed to get to crop rotation, and then I would just say land crop rotation pass, and I just sit there and I play lands and I pass until they put enough cards in their graveyard, and then I crop rotation for Bajukabog, exile their graveyard, and then they've got to draw back up to eight cards in hand again. Uh, you know, during which time I can do whatever the hell I want. Um, so it was, like I said, pretty pretty uneventful. Um, game one and game two, you know, he tried to Phantasmagorian for a bunch of cards, and then before he could actually use any of the cards he ditched, I just would exile his graveyard and kind of do my own thing. So, uh, yeah, pretty 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 sort of lame one-sided match. In, um, in the Mana Dredge department, when they actually have a more sort of explosive... Uh, combo start, it's a little more difficult, but even then, you know, if I can have crop rotation, if I can have it in hand before they before they kill me, I can usually just respond to, you know, some large dredge and get rid of all their narcomibos, and it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I remember that when I played dredge against lands. Um, you know, you may get there game one, they're not prepared for it, but game two, two and three, your lands opponents are just going to mull to crop rotation. Like, all they need is crop rotation, green source, and then a Bajukabog can just end your day. Yeah, and, and the other super rude thing about this matchup is even if somehow, God willing, I don't find Bajukabog, or Bajukabog is just, like, mysteriously missing from the party, um, I still have a bunch of other Silver Bullet lands that are super huge against the deck. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, like sometimes something as simple as a Maze of Ith against Icarid will, will shut them down. Um, or you can put a Tabernacle in play... And then all of a sudden, all these zombies that they have, they can't pay for during their upkeep. Um, yep. Or I'll put a chasm in play, play and again, they, they don't interact with, you know, non-damage kills. So I just have chasm in play and sort of giggle. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's lots, lots of ways to interact with that deck, and they have very minimal ways to interact with me, unfortunately. Yeah. So pretty, pretty uneventful. Um, once upon a time, I used to have, you know, Spheres of Resistance and Thorns of Amethyst, um, in my sideboard, and when you bring those in, it's it's even more disgusting because if you can play a turn turn one sphere on the play against them, they just like can't really play magic anymore. I mean, they can put in you know blood ghasts and um, nether spirits or what have you, but um, it's probably not going to be good enough or explosive enough to get around just me making a twenty twenty. Nice. Yeah, it does not feel like a very fun match for the dredge player. I like. What would you if you had to put a percentage on it? What would you say? It, it's pretty gross. I, I don't like to call things, you know, 80-20s, but it, it's it's one of the closer matchups that feels to an 80-20. Um, it's, it's like, e- even better than something like Rug Delver, which is what I usually say is one of my, one of my best matchups. Um, you know, Rug Delver can still get the tempo hand where they sort of get out ahead of you and stop you from playing magic, um, but that's that's really hard to do with, with the Dredge versus Lands matchup. Um, they just, again, don't have any way to interact with me they just have to have the nuts and have me basically have like an aneurysm in the middle of the match. Jeez, uh, <laughs> like it, it just it just doesn't it just doesn't really add up. And like you said, you can you can sneak a win in here and there, but once you're wise to it, you just mold the crop rotation green source, and that's really really easy for this deck to do. Mm-hmm. I've actually made some changes recently so that I have more green sources in my deck because that's the sort of the number one culprit of why I mulligan is I'll have some ex- super explosive hand that's just missing a green source. So I I built this list to have two more green sources than a, the previous version that I had, so that I'm less likely to have to uh, sort of mull into the dirt on that. 
Gotcha. So, what about the finals? So, Ho-Hum, um, finals was against um, Topher, uh, as he's as he's known. Um, Topher is a, a local main guy from that store, and he's probably one of the best Miracles players in the Northeast. Um, he's very, very good um, at, at the deck. Um, he plays a sort of traditional uh, predict build with Monastery Mentors in the main deck, um, and obviously the, the set of ponders and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, so game one, I had a hand that I thought was basically unbeatable. Um, it was something like, uh, Mox Diamond, Mox Diamond, Exploration, Life from Loam, Beseju stuff. Um, and when you have Beseju, Life from Loam, and Acceleration, it's like pretty hard for them game one because their primary interaction is really just locking you out with counterbalance. And the reason I have main deck Beseju is specifically just to get around counterbalance um, because it allows you to cast Life from Loam through counterbalance over and over and over again. Um, should I slow down and talk about Beseju? I don't know if we've talked about Beseju yet. Uh, I don't think so, yeah, if you want to make a couple points about it, yeah. So Beseju Who Shelters All is a legendary land that comes to play tapped. Um, it taps for a colorless, but it also requires that you pay to life when you tap it for colorless. Uh, and the reason for that is because if you cast a instant or sorcery using the mana produced by it, uh, it is uncounterable. So what happens is you can um, repeatedly cast Life from Loam through counterbalance. Um, and the way that Miracles usually gets you is they source to plowshares or they terminus your your Merit Lage, your 2020, you know, two or three times before they set up the counterbalance lock with a two on top. Um, but if you can, um, if you can get Life from Loam Besaju going, you can force them to answer the 2020 more times than they have answers. At the end of the day, they only have, you know, eight answers and three Snapcaster Mages. Eventually you can get them. Um, so that's, that's, that's really the nature of, of that matchup. Um, but, uh, again, Topher is, is sort of the, the man to beat on this matchup. So, what he ended up doing was was sort of playing to these 1% outs and getting there. Um, what he did was, um, game one, when he saw that my hand was super explosive and saw that I had Besaju, was he actually flashed in Snapcaster Mage as an Ambush Viper on turn two, um, and then proceeded to just beat me to death with a 2-1. And, you know... <laughs> Love that Ambush Viper Snapcaster play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. So, uh, he ended up putting me pretty low with it, um, but I was still at about ten, and you know I can assemble the combo from here, and then I can and then I can win. Um, so what I do is I've I've started to ghost quarter his lands. Uh, I've gotten all the white sources out of his deck, and I'm about to wasteland his last um, his last two tundras. Um, and I've made unfortunately I've made all my land drops of the turn, which ended up being a mistake. I could have. I could have sandbagged one more land drop before doing this. But what happened was I went to Wasteland one of his two Tundras, and he, in response, uh, activated Sensei Divining Top to draw Entreat the Angels and casted it for two. Um, and I was at, again, I was at ten. So Entreat the Angels for two is is pretty good. <laughs> um, It'll kill you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I put him off of his white sources, and I played a Glacial Chasm, um, the turn after he put me to to I, I killed this I killed the Snapcaster Mage 
So he attacks with two angels and puts me to two. Uh, I play Glacial Chasm to live for a turn, but the problem is at that point he had counterbalance with a two on top, and I can't pay for Besaidu to resolve life from loam. Oh, because uh, it's two life for the Besaidu. Right. It's either two life for the Besaidu or two life for the Glacial Chasm, and I couldn't afford to do either one. Um, so he got that one uh, by drawing his, unfortunately, his, his one of Entreat the Angels and, and, and setting it up for basically the exact right turn. Um, and I could have played a little bit differently uh, to play the Glacial Chasm um, after Wastelanding him, and then I would have been okay. But, you know, I, I really wasn't thinking about all the outs he could have. I wasn't thinking about the one of Entreat the Angels. And that's, you know, that's that's sort of what's what separates, you know, the good from the better, I guess. Um, but it is what it is. Um, so he got that game, and then the second game... Uh, the problem I have with this matchup is it's, it's, it's pretty bad game one for us, and it actually gets worse post-board. Um, like, they have just so many answers to what our deck does. Uh, we have to get sort of super weird with them uh, and hope that they don't have the right outs. Um, sorry, taking a drink of water. The one problem there was um, game two, uh, I had Chalice of the Void on one, uh, on turn one, which is pretty huge in that matchup because um, not only does it stop all of their you know, uh, cantrips and their Senses Divining Top, it also stops all their swords to plowshares. Um, mm. And and typically that deck swords out, signs out all of their terminuses because terminus is kind of clunky, but keeps in all the swords to plowshares. <clears throat> However, apparently, uh, Topher sort of next leveled me and kept, <laughs> kept kept in at least one terminus. Um, so I had a decision where I saw I was looking at his board, and you know he passes turn, and I've got Chalice of the Void on one, and I'm like, well, there's a couple of things you can do here. Um, I've got this crossing grip in hand. I can crossing grip his his Sensei Divine Top on his turn, and then I can reliably sort of uh, make the 2020 on the next turn and kill him. The problem is by doing that, I give him an extra turn to try to find uh, Wear Tear to destroy my Chalice um, or, or, or something of the, of the ilk. So instead, I just, I just jammed it. I made the 2020, and sure enough, we went to my turn, and he sensed his Divine Top, flipped it, and it was a Terminus, and he Terminus my, my 2020. And then proceeded to lock me out of the game for the rest of the game. Um, but uh, apparently, apparently his his hand was just sort of a gift from God. He explained to me afterwards. Um, he had basically every tool he could possibly need in his starting hand that game. He had um, like the wear tear and the swords um, and a force and a blue card and a top. So it was it was it was pretty dumb. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a pretty good hand. <laughs> yeah. So there. There wasn't there wasn't an awful lot that I could do, but um, you know it 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 was a, it was a good match, and I, I learned a few things, and you know I just got to play a little bit tighter. But um, he's he's certainly the one to uh, to learn from because, like I said, he's he's very good at the deck. Nice. So came in second, still very good. Uh, you've been on this deck for how how long now? Like two years. Two I years. Think. I think I think about two years. Yeah. Um, I, uh, way, way back in the day, I used to play, uh, I actually played Dredge originally. Oh, um, I did not know that. Yeah. So, a long, long time ago, um, I, uh, this was back when I lived in North Carolina. This was quite a while ago. Um, my local store would do weekly legacy tournaments, and, um, one of the 
better legacy players there was a friend of mine um, named Richard. Um, his name was actually Richard Johnson, so I used to like to make jokes about his name. Um, but, <laughs> did he have uh, a day job in porn? <laughs> no, he, he did not. He worked at, no, he, he, he was a nice guy, but yeah. Um, so Richard uh, played uh, Storm in Legacy and Storm and Vintage and basically insisted that if you weren't playing combo, you were doing it wrong. Um, so when I explained the different kinds of decks I was trying to build, I was trying to build Merfolk and I was trying to build lands. He was like, no, 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 just build combo. You just build this deck. Dredge is the cheapest deck in the format. It's the best way to get into the format. So that's how I originally got into, into Legacy, but I hated it. The deck hated me and I hated it. I would get garbage hands and I would get super <laughs> frustrated. So I ended up just like selling the deck for, for pennies and eventually, um, just, just like, uh, I went to, so I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking over the conversation. No, no, go. <laughs> the, uh, the origin story here, uh, is, is, is kind of funny. So, um, I was playing at Pandemonium up here in Cambridge, um, and I was playing a, a game of, of EDH, a game of Commander, and I had a proxy of Tabernacle at Pendrevale in my deck, um, and the the proxy was literally just a mountain that had the word tabernacle scrawled on on it in in sharpie <laughs> not uh, even the full name just tabernacle <laughs> no just 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 the word tabernacle it was uh, just apostrophe knackle knackle <laughs> <laughs> i got my knackle <laughs> <laughs> so i i i'm playing this game and i've got my goofy ass proxy tabernacle in in play and this guy walks in um and he says, "Oh, I, I have one of those. I have a I have a tabernacle." And you know, I'm like, "Oh, great! You know, like, why don't you also wave, wave your dick around? Like, you know, we'd all we'd all love to see it. Like, I'm so I'm so happy for you." Um, and he's like, "No, no, no! You don't understand. I it, it's it's for trade." And I was like, "The the it it could not have been faster for me to get to my binder and give my binder to that man." Um, <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I threw my cards at him as quickly as I could. Um, he looked through and he flipped through and he said, all right, yeah, I think we can make this work. So we, we had to, like, he didn't have it on him because I guess he didn't want to get, like, mugged and get this, you know, $300 card stolen from him. Uh, it was $300 at the time. <laughs> um, so he we set up a date and we met and we talked about it and we, like, did this little drug deal with my laptop. <laughs> uh, and I, I traded him a set of LEDs uh, and a bunch of standard nonsense, including like Seagram Coast and Grave Titan and a bunch of stuff like that, uh, for a pr- rather good-looking uh, tabernac- English tabernacle. Um, nice. It's like a little worn on the back, so it was like I traded for it at like two seventy-five. Um, so every year that goes by, I just look at that and I sort of smile because that's just like the best trade I've ever made. Um, but you know, he got he he got what he wanted, and I got what I wanted. There was nothing sort of shady in it. Um, but it just he just chose he just chose poorly. <laughs> yeah, Tabernacle is just a better long term investment. It turns out right better <laughs> than Seacrum Coast and Grave Titans. Right, right. But you know, you got to play standard. You got to do what he wanted to do, and I got to have this card that I had always sort of dreamed of having. Um, so uh, you know, that was that was fast forward a few few years. Fast forward a few years more. Um, I was at uh, Grand Prix New Jersey when they had the brainstorm playmat. Um, during the um, Treasure Cruise Menace, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I didn't have a Legacy deck built. Um, 
but I went there because the the girl I was dating at the time was a was a was a magic judge, and so I would sort of travel to these tournaments and just play side events and stuff like that. So I went and I actually spent almost the entire weekend trading. I had a bunch of cons fetches and I traded with all these legacy players and ended up turning a lot of my trade binder uh, into the red green lands deck. Um, I spent maybe three hundred out of pocket. Um, did a whole bunch of trading and built the rest of the 60 of the main deck of lands. And then over time, I eventually got the, the sideboard together. But basically, all of it was done through trading. Because at the time, I didn't have a lot of money to, to throw around. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this, this this deck is really sort of a, a labor of love. So I'm sorry, you said uh, you traded cons fetches? Yeah, the, the cons and Tarkir fetches I had a huge pile of them from, from lots of drafts and things. And so I ended up trading them to a bunch of legacy players, um, for stuff like Grove of Burnwillows and Wasteland huh. and what have you. Yeah. Well, cause cons really been two years. Yeah. I thought it was. Wow. Man. It was cons and then it was, uh, Innistrad. Innistrad. And it's been, uh, well, yeah, and then it was cons and Innistrad and then battle uh, for Zendikar. Yeah. Well, I think it was cons BFZ, then Innistrad. Oh yeah, that's what it was. And now we're into uh. And now we're into Kaladesh. So yeah, right. man, time flies. Yeah, it does. It does. I came back to Magic when New Phyrexia was standard legal. Yeah. Man, old old man nostalgia. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. So you kind of just built this deck from the ground up. Yeah, this it, it was really kind of a an amazing thing. I mean, this this deck. Um, like I said, was kind of what inspired me to uh, to build decks and play competitively and, and, and get into Legacy. Because I, I like what this deck does. Uh, I like Prison. I like, um, you know, grinding out lots of card advantage. Um, and very early on, I got to have the experience of, of, you know, Wasteland tabernacling people and watching them sort of sigh as they have to sack their whole board. And there's there's no feeling just quite like that. Um, so that's 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 really what I what I work for. Awesome. <laughs> I um, but the uh, my other sort of claim to fame is um, they were the Worcester Open, not the last one, but the one before that. Um, do you guys remember the 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 one before that was also Legacy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I didn't do noticeably well, but what I did was I went uh undefeated on day one. Um, and that was that that was the first tournament that I'd ever played with lands. I'd played some sort of side events here and there, but that was the first big event that I'd ever played with the deck. Um, and so it was kind of this amazing homecoming for me. Um, I went 9-0 on day one and then got to play in a bunch of feature matches day two, but uh, ended up only getting like top 32 or something. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a great time um, and really sort of cemented my, my love for this deck and the fact that this deck and I really kind of get along well. Awesome. So one thing we didn't uh, touch on yet is the sideboard. How often do you would you say you change the sideboard? So um, not not too too often as much recently. Uh, it's it's gone gone through a lot of changes over the years, but uh, they're usually pretty gradual tweaks. Um, some of the more recent changes is um, you know we used to always have a play set of sphere of resistance. Um, and then those eventually became Thorn of Amethyst, um, and now they're just not here at all. Um, in, a, in a more combo-heavy meta, uh, I'd be willing to run, run some number of spheres again or some number of thorns again. Um, 
but as it is, uh, Chalice of the Void does a lot of what we want it to do without taking up an awful lot of sideboard slots or really disrupting us very much. Um, and part of the reason Chalice is so good is because, you know, while sometimes, you know, I've gotten locked out by my own Sphere of Resistance sometimes, but I, I won't ever get locked up on my own Chalice of the Void. Uh, especially since most of the time I am sideboarding out all of my gambles. Um, the reason to do that is uh, Gamble gets a lot worse uh, in the in the sideboarded games because what happens is you you know you search for a card and if you discard it it might have been a sideboard card it might have been a life from loam but it goes to the graveyard and the graveyard is much more vulnerable game too because people have rest in peace and Leyline of the void and um, all those cards really at the ready for you um, so Gamble. Gamble's discard suddenly isn't isn't free anymore. It's it's pretty free game one, but game two, it's 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 a huge liability. Um, so because of the fact that I can side out all the gambles and sometimes even some number of crop rotations, Chalice the Void's uh, counter ability doesn't really stop my deck anymore. Um, and against decks like Delver, where you know most of their deck is cost one, it, it, it's it's well worth cutting off a small portion of my deck to basically stop them from playing altogether. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I also noticed you have the one of Ancient Tomb. I feel is that kind of out of the ordinary, or is that your innovation, or is that pretty standard? Uh, that's that's a bit of a Blake Sanford classic. Um, <laughs> I uh, I did that a long, long time ago. I, I saw somebody doing it. Um, uh, they had sort of a very oddball list, but I I took Ancient Tomb from it, and I was like, this this is this is something. So the normal reason to run Ancient Tomb is back when I had you know, four Sphere of Resistance and two Chalice of the Voids and stuff like that, Ancient Tomb gives you another way to have turn one um, turn one rock, either turn one Chalice of the Void or turn one Sphere of Resistance against the combo decks. And against a lot of those decks, having it on turn one versus turn two is is the difference between life and death um, in a, in a combo-heavy meta, basically. Um, and the reason you can... The reason a one-of is, is really good in this deck is because you can play Forest and then Crop Rotation your Forest into an Ancient Tomb, and then you can Ancient Tomb into either of those cards. Um, oh, man, just redundancies on redundancies. Yeah, so by adding an Ancient Tomb, suddenly you have five more ways, five more cards, which is the four Crop Rotations and the one Ancient Tomb, that allow you to have turn one Chalice or turn one Sphere. Because the only other way to do that is to have Mox Diamond and a land to discard and a land to play. Um, obviously, if you can do that, you can get it on turn one, but having Ancient Tomb plus four crop rotations allows you to do it much more reliably. Um, so I will do it in combo-heavy metas. However, this is not one of those metas, and this is not one of those sideboards. Um, the reason that I run Ancient Tomb in this particular board is not only to help me power out Chalice of the Void, which is, which is helpful in a lot of matchups, where my life total is not as relevant. Um, it's also here, because if you take a step back and look at my sideboard, you will notice a trend. Um, my friends and I have been jokingly calling the sideboard the Trinisphere board. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> um, because everything other than the Chalice of the Void and the Ancient Tomb costs three. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, we're sort of Trinisphering ourselves game two. Um, and uh, game one, Ancient Tomb isn't very good because nothing costs two colorless um, other than Thespian Stage activation. Um, you know, the Life from Alone, the Punishing Fire, all those only cost one colorless. But suddenly, post-board, you've got to pay all of these high costs. You've got to pay two and a green for Crossing Grip, two and a green for Tireless Tracker, two and a red for 
Cosmic's Return, and a whopping three colorless for Crucible of Worlds, um, and even two colorless for, for Chalice of the Void. So suddenly having an abundance of colorless mana from Ancient Tomb can make a really big difference. Um, and outside of something like Burn or, um, or Blue-Red Delver, I feel pretty comfortable paying for Ancient Tomb a few times if it means getting, getting ahead and coming out fast. Um, so that's, that's why I tried it this weekend. Uh, I didn't have a lot of chance to, um, to play with it. I did a few things with it, but um, I didn't really have any sort of notable games with it. Um, but I think just, you know, like I said, logically paying for the extra colorless costs makes, makes sense, and that's why it's back here. I like it, especially powering out early tireless trackers. That's uh, been a recent addition to the uh, lands list. I, I feel is that uh, is maybe now is Kozilek's return newer? One of those is the is definitely the kind of the defining uh, addition. All all of the sport is relatively recent. Um, again, not not too long ago, you know, a couple months ago, we were playing lots of spheres and less chalices, and I already got into that. Um, the only the only sort of standby in the sport is is the cross and grips. I, I really can't ever go down below four crossing groups because of miracles. There's just too many things you have to deal with, and you can't afford to let them get countered. Um, but I will get into some of the innovations here. So the reason for Tireless Tracker, um, it, it just does so many things. Um, there are so many decks that will totally warp their strategy um, just to try to disrupt your engine, basically. Um you know, um, Death and Taxes will play a bunch of Rest and Peace. Um, uh, Eldrazi will board in a, a full playset of Leyline of the Void. Um, the, um, what do you call it? The um, Delver decks will bring in a bunch of Needles and things like that. Pithing Needles. Um, and you know what gets around all of that is friggin' Tireless Tracker. Um, and the reason the Tireless Tracker is so good is that... Um, your deck is built to be an engine that gains card advantage by having a lot of lands in it. And the way it does that game one is by casting life from Loma Bunch and having exploration in play. But game two and game three, people are like, aha, I've got this rest in peace in play, you don't get to engine me anymore. And the joke is, you do, because you play Tireless Tracker. Um, so, you, so I was playing a game against somebody, against um, Death and Texas, and he goes, turn one Pithy Needle, naming um, you know Thespian Stage. Uh, and turn two, rest in peace. And I said, all right, that's fine. Turn three, tireless tracker. Turn four, tireless tracker. And I made two 11-10 tireless trackers. Um, he basically traded his whole board to kill one of them and then swords the other one. And at that point, I had already drawn, like, ten cards off of them, still had six clues left, um, and just overwhelmed him with a bunch of card advantage and, and made a 20-20 eventually. Um, so really, they, they just they get really big. They draw a bunch of cards. And they allow you to play the engine that your deck is designed to do uh, without all of the graveyard vulnerabilities that you're used to. Uh, also, the fact that everybody usually brings out all of their all of their creature hate, or or at least all of their like lightning bolt style cards, because they don't anticipate tireless wrecker. Um, it's losing a little bit of its uh, sort of unpredictability, obviously, because it's it's been around for a couple months that we've been doing the trekkers. Um, but regardless of that, the matchups where it's good, you just keep jamming them until they can't kill them, and then you win the game with it. It's 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 pretty disgusting. Nice, I like it. Um, e- even again against Death and Taxes and against Eldrazi, I, I make it into a, a six five or a seven six, and then I just block their whole deck while drawing cards. Um, yeah, so so I um, it was originally a two of, and then I went up to a three of, 
and then um one of my friends was uh my friend Brooks um who I'll 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 talk about a little bit later was um suggesting going up to 4 um and so I eventually went up to 4 but what I did was I changed all the sphere of resistance for Thorn of Amethyst uh to make it so that I could cast tireless tracker more often and more quickly because I would find that we would bring in not only all the spheres against the combo decks like Storm, but you also bring in all the tireless trackers because you want to have more ways to race them. Um, because they'll eventually find an answer to your, your, you know, chalice or your sphere or what have you. Um, so these days it's just four chalice and four tireless tracker because tireless tracker is just my favorite card on the board, basically. Nice. Um, awesome. Pat, did we have uh, some questions? Uh, yeah, we can go down the Facebook questions. We actually had quite a few tonight, so uh, it's good, good to get started on them. Uh, first up, Braden asks, how do you sleep at night, you monsters? I'm assuming he means lands players in general. Excellent question. Excellent question. Blake? Yep, yep. Uh, I, I sleep quite quite well. Thanks for thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, ben Garner asks, is there anything more gratif- gratifying in life than trolling real estate professionals with any REC. <laughs> oh, yes. We've, we've told this story previously, but please, I would love to hear it from your mouth, Blake. Yes. The, yes. the, <laughs> the story. So um, this is this was a scoop in that I was going to make later, but I'll make it now. My <laughs> my friends and I my friends and I created this group called the New England Real Estate Coalition. Um <laughs> And the New England Real Estate Coalition is is exactly what it sounds like, which is a lands group on Facebook for Magic the Gathering legacy players. Uh, I believe I saw the New England Real Estate Coalition in the Trump report of the jobs creation. <laughs> um, but for, you know, again, again, this is exactly what you'd think it is. But for whatever reason, I, I can't imagine why, but for whatever reason... These these people who want to sell property or rent property uh, will request to be added to our group. Uh, so so you know people people will will send a message to me asking to join the group, and I'll look at their page and I'll scroll and I'll scroll and I'll just giggle and I'll add them. Um, oh, I didn't realize you added them. I thought oh, I, you... I always I always add them. Every time. Um, because because we are we are an all inclusive group. And and I try to encourage as many people as I can to to, to join. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm not I'm not going to turn anybody away. Uh, but the, my favorite the game that my friends and I like to play, the other admins and I, is just to to keep an eye on the members list and see how long any of them last um, before they sort of realize they've been duped. Um, there's like there's one woman. There's this like Russian lady who who joined our group. Um, who obviously hasn't hasn't participated at all, but she's been there for months. And, I, and I, I'm I'm convinced. I think she just likes collecting groups. I I think I think that if I went to her Facebook page, I'd find that she was a member of like a hundred different groups, and that didn't make any sense and didn't have any feasible feasible like synergy. Um, and I think she just likes being part of groups for whatever friggin' reason. I mean, that's human nature. We we all like to coalesce in groups. With yeah, I mean, how we are. Yeah, she's the Ubermensch, I guess. <laughs> uh, quote of the cast: <laughs> She's the Ubermensch. <laughs> I would love to see this like bite you in your ass, and you eventually let in so many real estate agents that they form their own group within your group. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that, yeah, then I'd have to go and like start booting them. But you know, it hasn't. It hasn't. Come <laughs> it must to that. get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, no, it hasn't. It hasn't come to that yet. Um, there was one guy who somehow got in the group and was like advertising something, and I was like, oh no, you're done. You're done. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I I always get a little bit of a of a chuckle out of it. It's it really kind of brightens my day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So Celso asks. Ask uh, Blake, why is Jerry's alternative facts on the podcast as many as there are puns from Uglo? So I don't think he really formulated his question correctly, but I think he's saying <laughs> Jerry lies and I punt away legacy games. Um, I don't really know what the what the what he's asking, but I think he just wanted to make fun of us. Good job on forming complete sentences, Celso. Good job. <laughs> he's a bear. He can't help it. Bears don't have syntax. He's, getting, he's, he's very sleepy. I'm surprised he's even up from hibernation. I think he's very sleepy. Yet. There's some snow on the ground. Get back to sleep, Celso. <laughs> my answer, my answer to that non-existent question is yes. <laughs> um. Aaron Gazaniga asks, uh, this is actually a real question, so just a little bit. How do you know when you dredge loam or take actual draw steps? Yes. So this is one of the finer points of playing this deck um, that I have had a lot of conversations with people about. Um, this is another one of those instances where it's uh, it's a little bit nuanced, and I can't really give a hard and fast answer to it. Um, but it's another one of those things where I say you kind of have to have a plan. You have to have an idea of what you're going for. Um you know, there's certain times where you're losing to a card like Blood Moon, and at that point you take draw steps to try to find Crossing Grip. Um, and th- those are those are fairly obvious. I mean, post board, you you dredge life from Loam an, an awful lot less because of the fact that a lot of your sideboard cards are these huge trumps, and you want to be able to draw those trumps instead of just drawing three lands every turn because sometimes three lands every turn is just not not good enough. But uh, short of that. Um, I also don't like to do what's called what I like to call blind dredging, um, and blind dredging is when um, you know you'll see people sometimes have exploration in play and they'll cast life from loam with zero targets so that they can dredge at the next turn and theoretically hit more lands. Um, but every time that I do that, I hit spell, spell, spell. Um, so because I mean I, I I sort of learned to work around that, but because of that, if there's not any targets in the graveyard when I go to draw the my card for the turn, I won't pick up the life from them. I'll just draw a card. Um, because most of the time, the chance to hit one on land sometimes isn't as good as just drawing the crop rotation, which will become exactly the one land that you need. Um, so you have to do sort of a lot of little quick math and figure out, you know, are the four crop rotations and four gambles, uh, you know, a better chance to get me there than the three flips to potentially hit the one land that I need to hit. If you're trying to hit something like a wasteland or a grove... Uh, or a ghost quarter, you know, it might be better to just life from loam because you'll probably find it in the three. But otherwise, it might be more effective to try to take a draw step and find the spell that finds the card that you need. Um, so again, there's 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 sort of some gray area there. There's sort of some nuance there. Um, but a lot of times, you'll try to I will try to take draw steps more than I'll dredge unless I specifically know that I'm going to get something like a wasteland back that I specifically need to push a particular angle. Um, the other thing I'll say about that is that, um, a lot of times if I have, even if I have three lands in my graveyard, I still won't dredge life from loam. And that's because I might've kept a hand that had a lot of things going for it, but didn't have an exploration or maybe my exploration got abrupt decayed. And if I can take a draw step and potentially find an exploration, 
sometimes it's worth it to do that. Again, that card is the card that allows your deck to really go off. And sometimes just, you know, playing a land every turn, you're, you're going to fall behind. And it's not going to be, it might not be enough. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Josh asks, uh, which version do you prefer for fun reasons, not necessarily power level? Uh, the one win condition, four color, or red-green combo? And how do you feel now that the deck is considered to be a tier one deck, only because uh, more people have picked it up, even though it has always been very good in the match? So, I... It sounds like it sounds like this. I, I think I think he's part of our our lands group as well. But um, I think he comes from a position of of having played the old version, where I I had not played the old version. I had not played the four color sort of grindy nonsense versions at all. Um, I have only played the red green version. Uh, I've I've dabbled a little bit and I've played the red blue green version. I've played the the red black green version. Um, um, the the one that sort of David Long kind of popularized, um, but in the end, I, I I just think that the red black green version, the red blue green version, you end up sacrificing some level of explosiveness and consistency for the ability to play around uh, a larger percentage of cards. And sometimes I just think that doing what your deck is designed to do well uh, will get you enough sort of free wins to account for the fact that sometimes you're just going to lose to a blood moon or uh, lose to a counterbalance on two or what have you. Um, so yeah, I, you know, as, as fun as I think it is to prison people, I am also competitive and I, I like to be able to consistently get people with, uh, with 2020s when I have the chance to. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it, it's fun to grind and I, I've played that version. I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting, but at the end of the day, red green is, is where I like to be. So that's, that's what you'll find me on most of the time. Okay. Um, Let's see. Uh, so Celso asked for a quick history of the deck. He's always been interested in blue lands, but he had no idea what it was good and why it's not as good today. I think we kind of went into that, you know, how the, the deck progressed. Was there anything else you wanted to add to that to kind of address the question? No. I mean, just to, just to sort of recap, it's the, the benefit you get is really engineering explosive and, and, and uh, academy ruins, um, but you also get Teleria West. Um, Teleria West being the come-to-play tapped uh, blue land that has transmute for one blue blue. Um, and the cool thing about transmuting that card is not only can you go get um, the engineer explosives or like a mox diamond or something that costs zero, you can also get lands with it. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a sorcery speed, uncounterable way to go get combo pieces or, or lock pieces. And so the deck just like plays the prison game super duper well and plays the toolbox game super duper well. Um, but you end up losing, like I said, some number of Dark Depths, uh, some number of Thespian Stages, things like that, and I'm just not willing to do that. Um, uh, Adam asks, uh, what are the best cards to, uh, to run to troll your local lands players? I know I played Anka Mishra in the sideboard of Eldrazi, but he also mentions <laughs> Teferi's response, Teleman performance. Uh, is there something uh, he hasn't thought of that's funnier? <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a bunch of things. I've... Um, I've never been gotten by Ankur Mishra. I haven't actually played against that, so that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, I've definitely been gotten by um, what is it called? Uh, Sabo's Web. Oh yeah. Um, Sabo's Web being the two-minute artifact that draws a card when it enters and says uh, lands with an ability other than a that does more than basically just produces mana. Do not untap during their owner's untap steps. Right, yeah. Each land with an activated ability that isn't a mana ability doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. It's right. It's a two-mana artifact, yeah. Right. Um, 
Sabo's Web got a little bit less problematic when we moved from uh, Richard Import to Ghost Quarter mm-hmm. um, because that's one less land that we're not, you know, periodically tapping. Um, instead, we're just sacrificing it and replaying it. Uh, but it's still very annoying, and it can still prevent me from using things like Thespian Stage and Wasteland as regular mana sources. Um, but the how how good would you say Tasabo's Web is? Because I always think about putting a Tasabo's Web in my board, and then I always end up deciding eh, it's just not going to be good enough in enough situations. I, I mean, it's 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 fine. Like I said, it got a little less good. Um, but if you're specifically trying to hate on lands. It's a fine choice because of the fact that it draws you cards, it draws you a card, and it is likely to disrupt some amount of my mana, uh, which is a which is a, a pretty a pretty good angle, a reasonably good angle. Uh, I can't I can't maze of it you repeatedly. I can't um, I can't do any sort of weirdness with thespian stage combos. Um, I have to be very sort of all in and hope that the one tap kind of gets me there. Um, so it's 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 good. I mean, it's not it's not Blood Moon or Back to Basics, but it's 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 pretty good. Um, I I will I will say I've also gotten got by uh, by Teferi's response, and that's pretty much the most awful feeling in the world. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you uh, tell our listeners what Teferi's response is? <laughs> you know, I don't know the architect off the top of my head. I'll, I'll um, pull it up right now. Teferi's response is one in a blue for an instant. Counter target spell or ability an opponent controls that targets a land you control. If a permanent's ability is countered this way, destroy that permanent. Draw two cards. <laughs> yeah, so that that card's pretty rude. <laughs> it, it usually involves me, you know, wastelanding and, and them drawing two cards instead. But uh, <laughs> occasionally, you know, back when I played Russian Import, you know, you go to port someone and they destroy your Russian Import and draw two cards, which is pretty friggin' dumb. <laughs> That's pretty gross. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's 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 pretty upsetting. I um, uh, a friend of mine named Adam, one of the other guys from up 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 in Maine at the complex, um, actually was being pretty dirty uh, a couple of weekends ago and put in crop rotation in his elves sideboard um, and had a, a little crop rotation package and had crop rotation with Caracas and Wasteland. Uh, and, and like Bajukabog, I think. Um, and so what happened was I would go for the early combo because traditionally that, that deck doesn't really have any way to deal with the combo. And he would just crop rotate for Wasteland and Wasteland me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then game two, I was like, all right, well, I, or game three, I, I saw it coming. So instead I did it while he was tapped out. And I'm like, I'm sure he just has crop rotation Wasteland. I'm sure that's it. Sure enough, he untaps crop rotations and gets Caracas and bounces it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of weird things people can do against me, but um, yeah, I think I think Teferi's response is probably one of the weirdest and, and sort of most annoying ones. Okay, guys, um, I'm, I'm buying Teferi's response on TCG Player right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably gonna pick some up on uh, Moto for it too. <laughs> oh, Jesus, a, there there is a um, there's not necessarily a lot of lands players, but there are a couple wasteland decks. Yeah. A, I feel like a it's just so good against just wastelands. Just, or just like, how about death and taxes if they go to port down one of your lands? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't. Pretty uh, Draw that's... two cards is like fucking great, right? <laughs> that might be a maybe. Is this like a very underplayed card? It is. It's kind of. Ex- it, it, I think it's underplayed, but it's kind of expensive. Yeah. 
when you it's already also ha- very narrow too, in like the wrong matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think wastelands are common enough that it's worth playing as a sideboard card. I I would never run this main deck, but wastelands are common enough that I could definitely see running this in like a three color Delver list as just like a value, like refill your hands. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe the other problem is it costs it costs two mana. Two mana is an awful lot of investment in in legacy. That is. Um, you have to you have to keep it open on your opponent's turn and, and hope that they walk into it. Um, and I think that's part of what keeps people from playing it is that you can't just sort of free roll it. You have to actually play around when you think they're going to do it, or else you waste a bunch of tempo by holding up mana forever. Right. It definitely has to go into the right deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but also stops the shine ports, the ghost quarters. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else we're not thinking of? Counter target speller ability and opponent controls. Oh, I guess it counter stifle. That's a hilarious counter to stifle. Oh, if, like no. you, if someone's trying to stifle your fetch land? Yeah. No, because that's an ability. That's not your land. It doesn't. Oh, uh, does that land. not work that way? Oh, because they're because stifles targeting the ability of the fetch land. Right. So why isn't it? Why does it counter uh, wasteland then? Isn't it countering? Because wait, no. Oh, I see. Yep, is targeting I, mind, land. Yep, yep, I I I realize that. I realize that. Yep. Is there anything else we're we're missing though? Is there anything else that stops? Uh, something like ghost quarter. Yeah. I guess if someone wanted to, like, um, if someone wanted to, um, uh, <laughs> it, what's it, it called? Uh, I guess it uh, fucks up like, box. Like, port, it, like, we're so we're shot in port, it, it, it would blow a port. It would, um... Uh, uh, sinkhole. Yeah, sinkhole. Um, what's the one that, uh, we were just talking about it. Oh, Thespian Sage, if someone wanted to copy one of your lands, you could blow someone's Thespian Sage with that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no one's <laughs> ever done it. That's pretty hilarious, though. <laughs> I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but those are all those are all funny enough to like want to play it as in the in the sideboard of a deck. Yeah, oils are only ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right, so let's wait, move on. Let's hold on, one wait, one thing. Um, so the 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 person who got uh, third place at the complex, our 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 guy Grizzle Grizzle Curtis Curtis oh, Dora. Yeah. Um, I, I like to tell his the story that he told me once. Um, which is when he was uh, when he was playing the Dark Depths deck against Miracles. One thing he used to do is he would board in. Um, oh my God! Now I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Drownyard, Nefalia Drownyard. Oh yeah. Um, and then what he would do is his deck didn't run any blue sources. So what he would do is he would Thespian stage copying his Miracle player's island, and then untap with that in a black source and use those. To, to mill his opponent out with Nefalia Drownyard. <laughs> um, so he used, you know, he used the fact that he knew he was only going to board in Miracles and just assumed that he was going to have a Thespian stage at that time. Um, <laughs> so it's sort of a sort of a funny leap of logic, but it, it, it works out, and he sort of made it work. But That's one awesome. Of those, one of those niche uh, Thespian stage activations that I love. Good old Grizzle Curtis. Yeah, I see. It's more common in a uh, twelve post. Twelve post will use their Thesmian stages to uh, copy your like uh, tropical islands all the time. You mean Vesuva, right? I don't know that they run. Do they run stages? I think they just run Vesuvas. I've definitely played twelve post players running stages. Okay. Uh, but Vesuva works too. I mean, it would counter right. a Vesuva. Right. Um, all right. So uh, Kermit asks, "Tell me how to beat your deck with my mono white life gain deck." I'm assuming he means Soul Sisters. That's probably what he's running now. Skull deck. Uh, do we lose him to modern? No, Curtis, come no, back. No, I don't. I don't think so. I, we haven't seen Kermit in a while, but I'm sure he's doing all right. Yeah. Um. 
Joel asks, actually, this is kind of a neat question. I think it's a good one as well because this has come up in conversations. I know I've talked to, to Blake about this before. Um, what is the most painful thing to be removed by surgical extraction? Is the game even won by punishing fire combo anymore, or has the deck progressed past the... Um, so, sorry, I think there was a sort of a second part to that question, but let yeah, me... Yeah, so let's, let, let's just ask, what's the most painful thing to be removed by surgical extraction? Yeah, so surgical extraction is pretty, pretty bad, and surgical extraction is pretty common now. In fact, the re- part of the reason um, Chalice of the Void is so so good is because half of the decks that exist right now are boarding surgicals against us. And so Chalice on one can, can stop surgical, um, in addition to whatever else it does in that particular matchup. Uh, but anyway, to the, to the question at hand, um, it really depends a lot upon the matchup, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of people sort of misevaluate which what's most important. Um, from my perspective, just sort of in the dark, the way I order them is uh, Life from Loam being the most critical, uh, followed by Punishing Fire, um, and then followed by Thespian Stage or Dark Depths, basically. Um, you know, you can get rid of Wastelands, but then I have Ghost Quarters. Uh, you can get rid of Maze of Vis, but then I have, like, Tabernacle Wasteland... A lot of the a lot of the deck is interchangeable. A lot of the deck is sort of um, replaceable. Uh, but Life from the Loam is really the card that makes this deck work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, that's again part of the reason I have Crucible is if I if I get my Life from Loam surgical, I can I can replay lands with with Crucible Worlds because the way this deck works is by pulling lands in and out of the graveyard all the time to accrue a bunch of advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, playing off the top of this deck feels really really bad. Um, because half of your spells are stuff like expiration that are like dead draws. Uh, you know, your gambles are pretty bad when they're a top deck, uh, if you don't have life from Lum going. Um, so, so losing life from Lum is typically the, the biggest hit to the matchup. Um, I will see a lot of people aggressively exile my dark depths or my thespian stage with surgical. And I'll just sort of chuckle because I've, I've played a lot of games against people playing stuff like Delver where they do that, and the problem is when they do that, the biggest tool against them is just punishing fire. And yeah. so what, hap- what happens is I punishing fire all their creatures, and then I, 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 I won them to death. I punishing fire them, I gain them a life. I punishing fire them, I gain them a life. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will happily do that until the cows come home. I do not care. Like, all they do when they get rid of Dark Depths or they get rid of Thespian Stage is they make this game super inconvenient for them. <laughs> Oh, you wanted to take a bathroom break? Too right. bad. <laughs> right. Like, now you're just going to sit here and you're going to watch me throw this at your face a thousand times. And I'm fine with this. Like, this is why I play this deck. But I don't think you want to play this game this way. So I think people don't think about that and don't think about the repercussion of their actions um, when they do that to me. There's so, also ways for them to play around, like, uh, like a... a resolved merritly like if even if they keep it up delvers or they have like uh, uh baleful strixes whatever they can use to jump block the the token they can still get in with other chip damage from their deck yeah as as i was saying on the on the facebook group the dark depth thespian stage thing is really um you know kind of a kind of a a, a creature comfort it's kind of a a, a convenience thing mm-hmm. because you know when you need to end the game make it 2020 and kill them but at the end of the day this deck has been doing what it's been doing forever as we talked about and there's lots of ways to to get around it. We can just we can just punishing fire them to death. And so I I don't I don't super care. It's just it's just convenient and easy. At the end of the day, I'm more hurt about losing punishing fire. 
Because yes, I I I think that eventually you could grind out all my Thespian Sages and all my Dark Depths. Um, and if I you know lose loams along the way, I'm not going to be able to beat you, and then I mill before you and I lose. Mm-hmm. So I I protect Punishing Fires pretty vigilantly, and I'll protect Life from Loams pretty vigilantly. But I have never been tempted to run something like um like Petrified Field to try to protect Dark Depths because I just don't care if they go for it. I I just don't care. I. The, the the exception is obviously there are some decks where as soon as I can't race them, they win. Um, like if for whatever reason someone on Sneak and Show were to exile Dark Depths, my percentage of to win would go down significantly because all of a sudden I couldn't race them anymore. Mm-hmm. But when you're playing something like Delver that has to stick a bunch of threats, losing my Dark Depths, it, again, just makes the game go longer, but still gives me the same inevitability that I've always had. All right, um... And I know we've kind of talked about it, but I don't know if you want to expand on it. I mean, the game can be won by a Punishing Fire combo. You have the Merit Lage deal to win games as well. Um, Tireless Tracker out of the sideboard. Anything else I'm missing there as far as how you guys are going to put the game away there? No. Again, that's. I mean, we have Tireless Tracker. That's that's another reason that I'll bring Tireless Tracker in. Um, yep. Again, a lot of what we do these days is based around Surgical Extraction, plain and simple, because that card is just everywhere right now. And we can't afford to just scoop to that card that's like a two of and everybody's bored at this point. Hmm. Um, so having a set of tireless trackers allows us to say, you know, well, you got rid of my punishing fires and my loams, but I can still draw these trackers and draw half my deck and kill you with this huge thing. Hmm. Um, so yeah, tireless tracker is the other option we have out of the board when we expect to see things like surgical. All right. Um, let's pull up the, sorry, I lost, uh, Ian asks, fill in the blank. The best time to order delivery is blank minutes before arriving at gaming, etc. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Blake, Blake, is, Blake is famous for uh, getting food delivered as he arrives to the store, right? The problem was the problem was um, the place that I ordered from, a place called uh, Juniors, um, used to always deliver to gaming, etc. incredibly quickly. And so I would I would call them in the car on the way to the store because that was like the most convenient way for me to do it. And typically it would show up like five minutes after I got there. But sometimes if I got stuck in traffic, it would get there before me. <laughs> and so when it when it got there before me, Michelle and you know everybody at Gaming Etc. would get really annoyed because they would they would sign for me and they they you know they felt they felt like they shouldn't be signing for me. Um, for, you know, sort of ethical reasons. Um, so, you know, eventually uh, I, I started ordering it a little bit later and it wasn't it wasn't an issue, but that was that was sort of an ongoing joke. And typically whenever somebody order, walks in with, um, you know, delivery food, they just call out my name and see if it's mine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to save money these days. I'm not ordering as much food. <laughs> um uh let's see uh Raymond asks uh, what cards do you not want to see when you're playing uh, playing land I there there there's a lot of them I mean that's like kind of a hard question to answer um like if we're talking are we talking about just like specific sideboard hate um, Sure yeah let's say yeah that's a good one Because obviously there's certain matchups I don't want to see things like sneak and show and miracles and things like that mm-hmm. um but in terms of in terms of specific cards I mean uh Blood Moon is pretty much the worst thing ever. Um, like uh, things like Sabo's Web and Back to Basics can be can be played around, and I can still technically combo through it. I can still technically wasteland lock people through it. Uh, but Blood Moon means that all of a sudden, literally half of my deck 
doesn't do anything other than produce mana, mm-hmm. which is like a pretty poor way to construct a legacy deck in hindsight. <laughs> um, so that, that, that card is like really, really infuriating. Um, and once again, this is why we have four Tireless Trackers. The, the card Blood Moon is another way that we get around that is with Tireless Tracker. Um, because they play Blood Moon, and I'm like, all right, as long as I have a Mox Diamond or a Basic Forest, I play this tracker, and all of a sudden, all my Dark Depths, all my Glacier Chasms, all my Ghost Quarters are just uh, two-mana cantrips. And then I play them, and I draw a card, 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 and I attack with a huge Tireless Tracker. And that way, <laughs> and that way, instead of just having the four Crossing Grips to blow up Blood Moon, I have four Crossing Grips and four Tireless Trackers. So I either win through it, or I, or I kill it. Um, okay. And then, of course, Molten Vortex allows you to also kill through it as long as you have green sources to, to play life from Lum. Mm-hmm. But Blood Moon is, is really the pretty much the scariest card for this deck. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ryan asks, how do I beat you without using blue cards? Can you lay out a detailed turn-by-turn analysis? Also, your deck makes small children cry. Uh, we don't have to do the turn-by-turn thing. We're already running long. As usual, the lands deck is going to time this week. Um, yeah, super hard. But but we will, uh, I mean, if you want to hash it out on the on the Facebook page, you're welcome. But I think Ryan might have been asking that more in jest than anything else. Um, uh, Joseph asks, do you like spheres or chalices at the moment? Uh, Follow-up, what would excite you? All right, so first, do you like spheres or chalices at the moment, Blake? The second so- yeah, so I got to, I got to this a little bit already. I, I I like chalices because a it doesn't it doesn't cut off it isn't as likely to cut off my deck from doing what my deck needs to do, mm-hmm. and b it stops specific cards that are problem for us. Swords to Plowshares, Deathrite Shaman, uh, Sensei's Divining Top, Surgical Extraction. Um, you know, a lot of the cards that I worry about are one drops, and I want to stop them all together and not just make it a pain in the ass to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a more combo heavy meta with more Storm. I like spheres, but in a in a more fair meta where I'm just trying to stop a lot of these specific one mana cards, I like Chalice. Um, sorry, I know we're I know we're running long, but I have one more thing to add about Chalice. No, um, it's for it. no, as much as you need. The uh, the infect matchup. Um, there was a lot of back and forth within our group about the infect matchup, um, and I really 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 like bringing in four Chalice of the Void because, quite frankly, I would play a card that says. You know, two mana artifact. The card Vines of Vastwood can't be cast um, <laughs> because that that is really the card that makes or breaks that matchup. Because um, once they are unable to cast Vines of Vastwood, all of a sudden Maze of Ith is just this flawless wonder wall, and people can't get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Punishing Fire is is a reliable kill spell that you can bring back every turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I happily play Chalice of the Void not only because it counters a lot of their deck, but because specifically it counters Vines of Asswood. So I like Chalice because there's usually one or two cards like that in every matchup where I'm like, if they don't cast that card, I'm going to win this game, and so I want to cast Chalice to stop those cards. Okay. Um, he had asked a follow-up question, what would excite you the most? A land that gave your graveyard hexproof, a land that makes all lands mountains in addition to other types, or a land that sacrifices to return an enchantment to your hand slash top of library. I, I did see that. It was pretty pretty interesting hypothetical. Uh, the first one is super busted. Giving and a graveyard I, hexproof is gross. <laughs> I would like that. I would like that for every graveyard deck. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 yeah. If that card was just like you know a you know a colorless land that gave all my my graveyard hexproof, or even a come to play tap colorless land. I, I would probably run at least one of it for the crop rotation out. Six dollars. Yeah, if not if not more than one. I might even run more than one. That card's pretty dumb. 
Um, the uh, the mountain one is kind of funny because it would finally let me fucking cast seismic assault. <laughs> um, because that card is just uncastable otherwise. Um, and uh, the enchantment one, you know, I, I, I have I have said and I, I I have said and I will say that exploration is really what makes this deck go. So bringing back a, an enchantment is pretty huge. But I I'm still not sure. I would sort of have to see you know how much that card costs and, and what it what it really does um, before I would say that I was 100% on board because I I like exploration but there are games you can play without it even though it's obviously sort of make or break sometimes. All right. Um I know you so so the ones that you've answered, do you want to just like read them on the cast or do you want to just kind of skip over them? What do you think is easier there, Blake? Oh yeah, I've already started to get into some of that because some of these questions are a little bit easy. Yeah. Uh, uh, hold on, my Facebook is a little bit slow. One of them I know was talking about whether I prefer to wasteland people out of the game, or whether I prefer to dark depth people out of the game. Is that the flawless victory one? Yeah, so that that's what we yeah. call in the in the biz. What we call <laughs> it, uh, yeah, Brooks, in the New Brooks England real estate uh, group. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the in the real estate coalition, we call that a flawless victory when somebody has no permanence in play. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so. Um, yeah, the flawless victory is is really kind of as I was explaining in in that post. It's really the most effective way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great example of this. Uh, Jarvis Yu was playing against um, some sort of Delver deck months back at a GP, and everybody was criticizing him because he had the Dark Depths combo and just refused to activate it, and instead spent the time wastelanding his opponent out of the game until his opponent had zero lands in play. Um, and it looked kind of like he was just being an asshole. Right. Um, but I talked to him afterwards, a lot of people talked to him afterwards, and he explained that the reason you do it is because if his opponent had uh, Submerge to answer the 2020, and then was able to sur- surgical extract from the Dark Depths, which are t- which is a very real sequence that can definitely happen. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Then, Those are two he, great cards against your deck. Right, that he might not win that game. So instead, you just take the safe route and you keep wasteling them, if if they're not putting any pressure on you, if they're not playing a deck like Sneak Attack that's just suddenly going to turn the corner and win, uh, there's no reason not to just put your opponent on, on zero outs. And so, yeah, activating Wasteland is is pretty much always smarter than, uh, you know, making making a 2020 when you have a choice between those two options, um, with the exception of certain matchups like Sneak and Show and Storm and, that are faster than you. Um, but also, to answer your question about which one I enjoy more, I enjoy... I enjoy the flawless victory. I enjoy putting people on zero permanence. If I really, if I really enjoyed the oops, I win sort of thing, where it's really mindless and you just get them, I, I would fucking play sneak and show. But I don't play sneak and show. Hey, hey, hey! Shots fired. I play a deck that involves you know some some degree of thinking and some degree of sort of oh, interaction. Um, wait till you get matched up, and I just turn one. <laughs> uh, so Martin asks. Uh, do you prefer to crush new legacy players' dreams with a fast 2020, with yes. crop rota- or rotate into a tabernacle? Right. So that's that's what I was just talking about. Um, that's sort of the one I started to answer was, um, you know, I prefer to put people on zero permanence uh, over 2020ing. 2020ing yeah. is just my way to say, all right, listen, you wouldn't scoop, so here's a big thing in your face. Let's <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um, all right. So we got a couple more left. Uh, Caleb asks, two part question: What basic forest do you play with, and why? I like this question. This is my favorite question, actually. This is a very popular question among among the lands group, and I don't know. I don't really know why. Um, <laughs> well, you're only wanting one, right? 
Yeah, you you do only run one, and so it's your sort of chance to like, you know, do your special like cute little flare thing and make you feel like a special fucking snowflake. But uh, <laughs> I millennial lions players. <laughs> but like the 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 reason I say that is is because I don't care literally at all about pimping my deck. Uh, I have never cared about pimping my deck. I hate foils. Uh, I hate that they crimp. And I, I don't like going out of my way to make things look prettier. I just want to play the most effective cards that I can and have fun. It's like not just not what I play the game for. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that reason, he probably asked me this question to sort of embarrass me, but I'm not embarrassed about it. Uh, <laughs> my land is, I think, I have to pull it out. I think it's a seventh edition. Are <laughs> um, those the whiteboard ones? It's a white-bordered forest. Um, it is pretty much the ugliest thing you've ever seen. Um, and so it's, it's, it's nothing special. It's not, it's not full art. It's not foil. It's not anything like that. Um, the reason that I play it is because, again, I am sort of all about, sorry, it's six edition. It's six edition. It's even worse. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's true. (laughs) So, um, the reason I play it is because, uh, again, I go for function over form. And when I'm searching for, you know, my fetch lands, uh, I can very easily see the the three white-bordered cards in my deck, which are the two taigas in the forest. Um, and so I do, I specifically do that so that I can fetch them easier, um, rather than making it all black-bordered or trying to pimp it or anything like that. Um, because I think that cutting corners and saving time where you can in a in a long grindy deck like this is important. Um, so yeah, I, I like to save time, and so I so I do that. So this is literally the first white bordered forest that I physically got my hands on when I built this deck. <laughs> Blake, if I hit the lottery, I'm buying you a guru forest. I'm I'm just gonna put it in my binder. I'm not gonna play it. <laughs> if I make you feel better, I mean you can do that. Jeez. Uh, okay. So literally the first the first white bordered thing you could get here. How about this? How about we white border the Guru Forest? Would you play it then? I mean that's that seems like sort of an abomination, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, P- Peter asks. Why do you hate worm harvest? So Peter, uh, so first of all, just to, to, to back up a little bit, uh, the other, so Peter and Caleb and I started the New England Real Estate Coalition, mm-hmm. um, and then I added Brooks as one of our admins. He's from he's from Japan um, because he always has a lot of sort of very wacky ideas, and <laughs> as um, the Japanese metas want to do, <laughs> right? And so. Uh, he, he's really sort of a valuable contribution for that reason because it, it's nice to have somebody to sort of stir the pot every now and then. So anyway, that is just to say that a lot of these goofy inside jokes are coming from the other admins who want to yeah. see if I can make a fool of myself on the stream. Um, but I'm 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 wise to them. So anyway, uh, Peter Archibald really likes terrible cards. Um, so he really likes he, he really likes Worm Harvest, and he and Caleb have been trying to sell me on Worm Harvest forever. 
Worm Harvest is a terrible card. Joe. You know who sold Caleb on Worm Harvest is our buddy Dan Holland, who was on for the Pox episode. Oh, the, two, the two of them were talking, and Caleb was like, man, I just I just need another answer for Miracles. And Dan's like, try Worm Harvest. And oh, Caleb Jesus. ended up top-aiding that tournament, and he was in love <laughs> with Worm Harvest ever since. <laughs> that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. I haven't had the same experience with Worm Harvest. I did actually have Peter uh, talk me into running Worm Harvest, for one event, and I just had a moment of weakness and played it an event, and um, and literally before I even shuffled up from my first game, after I'd already written the deck list out, uh, at a, a, a sort of a mid-sized tournament, a friend of mine was like, so why are you playing Worm Harvest? And I said to him, I said, well, you play it uh, against decks that are grindy, but don't have a lot of graveyard hate. And he said, what the fuck? What does that mean? That that doesn't that doesn't actually exist. Like, there there isn't a deck that exists in 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 Legacy that doesn't bring in graveyard hate against you, but also plays a longer game. That just is not something that actually exists. If that was something that actually existed, Worm Harvest would be a card. The problem is people people that you want to have this weird grindy win con against also have stuff like Rest in Peace and Leyline against you. Mm. I guess it's only kind of really it. it gives another target for surgical extraction. I guess you kind of just for the surgical extraction decks you can overload them. But yeah, you're right. That's pretty much all it uh all it uh gets around. Yeah. No, it does get around surgical and uh that can be helpful. But again, surgicaling my win cons is is not something that really matters to me. I've got enough that I'll probably work around it. Right, right. Uh final question which is my favorite um, do you ever wish you were a Belcher player? <laughs> Is that Joe's question? Joe Gardner, uh, Belcher aficionado, loves the deck. Uh, uh, I believe he was saying after the GP he would never play it again, but... He says that after every time he plays Belcher, and he's played Belcher in every large event he's been to for Legacy. Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> I have never, ever wished I was a Belcher player, ever. The closest I ever came was when I was a dredge player and I hated myself every moment. So. <laughs> Takes a special person to love those. Yeah, it does. All right, um, all right. So, so we're running very long tonight, which is great because it's been we've we we haven't had a long episode in a while, so this is wonderful. Um, were there any uh, things you kind of wanted to uh, talk about before we kind of wrapped it up here, Blake? So, as I started to say on the group, I mean, there are infinite things that I could freaking talk about with this deck because this deck is, as I call it, this deck is my soulmate. Because I, I live to play this to play this deck really and truly. Um, the only other card we didn't sort of get into in the sideboard is uh, is Kozilek's Return. Um, Kozilek's Return is uh, sort of a recent addition, and again, it's to stop Sanctum Prelate. Sanctum Prelate on two really stops us from playing Magic anymore. Um, but I've also found that it can be very helpful in a lot of other matchups that I didn't realize. You can bring it against Elves. And when they go to make their big dinosaur, you just clear their board and let them just have a stupid dinosaur looking lonely. Um, <laughs> against Dredge, you know, they can make a bunch of a bunch of uh, zombies and you just clear them before they can get haste or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a lot of applications and I find myself bringing it in more than I originally thought I would. Um, short of that, um, like I said, my, my particular build, I'm running more green sources these days. Um uh, there's been some other changes. I'm running more green sources. I'm running both Beseju and Bajukabog in the main deck now. Once upon a time, there was only room for one of those or the other. Uh, but I but I cut some of the other cards to basically have what we call a, another flex slot, which is mm-hmm. to say another silver bullet land. Um, 
it used to be um, uh, Riftstone Portal in that slot, and um, Riftstone Portal allowing you to make extra extra mana. Uh, Riftstone Portal being the land that says when it's in your graveyard, all of your lands tap for green or white. Um, the cool thing about that used to be that you could tap Tabernacles, you could tap Maze of Iths, you could tap Dark Depths to produce mana. Uh, but you had to kind of jump through hoops to get it going. And, and especially now that I'm not on Rishon Import, I don't have use for a bunch of excess mana. This deck is, you know, doesn't cast huge things out, outside of the couple of board cards that I'm playing now that cost three. Okay. All right. Um, cool. So, Blake, uh, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, talk about, uh, you know, Legacy Lands, where can they find you, man? Um, so, uh, I will make another plug. Um, best way to find me, I mean, I'm, I'm on Facebook pretty regularly. Best way to get to me, really, is, is to come join the group and come hang out. Um, again, the, the group that I have is called the New England Real Estate Coalition. Don't be fooled by the title. It is indeed a Magic the Gathering Lands think tank. <laughs> um, so I, I, I have, we have recently opened up the group to uh, basically anyone and everyone um, because we realized that even if, even if you're not a lands player or you're never even going to build lands ever and you just want to know how to play against lands and you want to sort of sneak in and, and spy on us, that's, that's fine because the, <laughs> the more voices we have here, the more sort of minds we have on this, uh, the more interesting the discussion gets. And so mm-hmm. I'm always encouraging people to come check out the group and join the group, and I will literally add anybody. So so come come check us out and come hang out and come talk to me. I love to talk about lands. Even if you're just some Russian chick who doesn't actually play Magic. Yeah, especially if you're some Russian chick who doesn't play Magic. We'd love to have you. <laughs> if you also happen to have a real estate license, feel free to start a coup. <laughs> <laughs> I will lend support and aid. Uh, Jerry, how about you, buddy? Where can they find you? Where can they get a hold of you? Uh, so you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Jamie3RD. Uh, also, every other Tuesday, I trade off with Aaron Gazaniga doing uh, brews for Hipsters of the Coast. Uh, this week, I actually came out with a deck about... Uh, I made a sweet budget coin flipping deck. The Clark, Clark's Thumb deck? Yeah, Clark's Thumb. Love that card. <laughs> but, uh, I think I, I just... I gotta play it. I mean, it costs $25 to put together online. You gotta play it in the Community Legacy League, man. I, I think I might have to. I might have to do throw that together tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I've ever seen anyone do like a coin flip on Magic Online, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see how that works. I have because I used to play the shit out of Ral Zarek. Uh, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I might throw that together for uh, tomorrow nice. if I have time. <laughs> nice. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Pat Uglo. Uh, the stream is twitch.tv slash Pat Uglo. Uh, you can find the, uh, the Facebook group Leaving Legacy MTG, just search for it on uh, Facebook. You can find the link in the show notes as well. Jerry. Scoops? You got it. Yeah, let's get let's get into scoops. Uh, I got one. Uh, I'm scooping in good old Dominic Monfrey. Uh, because hopefully with his help, we will have t-shirts eventually. Ooh, uh, awesome. I don't know the difference between a JPEG and a GIF, but uh, Dominic does. So <laughs> he's going to help me out with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a numbers guy. Come on. Sure, sure you are, Jerry. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna scoop. I'm gonna scoop in Blake for coming on, man. Thank you so much for uh, showering us with uh, all your knowledge of the lands deck. It's a deck that you, I mean, you and I have gotten to play a few matchups um, from time to time between TE and uh, gaming, etc. 
And we, I always have a good time playing against you. And it's always great to see people who are enthusiastic about the format, enthusiastic about their decks, um, spreading the love around. So thank you very much for coming on today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great being here. I always love talking about this deck. <laughs> uh, how about you, Betty? You got any scoops? You know, anyone you want to scoop in a top eight tonight? So my my confidants, um, Peter Archambault, uh, Caleb Comtois, and um, and Brooks Dorsey, again, are my, my other admins in the New England Real Estate Coalition, and um, we have our we have our own little Facebook chat, and we talk all the time, and they're really uh, where I get all my ideas from, and and um, I'm not really the ideas guy. I'm 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 kind of the execution guy, and so uh, without them, I, I wouldn't get to sort of where I get with this 75 that I that I've gotten to. So um, I I always owe a thank you to them. I can never say thank you enough to them. Awesome, um, Jerry, you got a die to roll, buddy? I do got a die. All right. You got that list? Caleb, have, have you contributed to the list? Do you mean Blake? Blake, wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna record. Where did Caleb come from? <laughs> did he, has he been listening this whole time and you guys just didn't tell me? Because that would be pretty funny. <laughs> oh, man, I wish we had. <laughs> yeah, you were, I don't, you were just talking about Caleb, and uh, I just... I, um, I'm a little buzzed. <laughs> Should have made that second old-fashioned. <laughs> oh, I thought that's uh, what I heard earlier. I thought I heard some clinking. Yeah. Uh, you got to bring the the glass up to your mouth, and then the ice cubes hit the microphone, and then you spill, and it's all over the place. <laughs> Jerry's a mess. Jerry's a mess. <laughs> uh, Blake, do you have a song on the D20 list? Uh, no, I don't. I don't even know where that is or how to do that, but... <laughs> it's the pin tweet in the Facebook group. Oh, uh, right. So, yeah, if I, anyone I wants to add a song gonna, on there. I thought you guys were going to stop doing that. I remember there was a discussion about that. <laughs> no, I won I them over. I to, and... <laughs> I won them over. I, I win. <laughs> well, I hope, it's, I hope it's extra bad this week. I love listening to you suffer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we ready? We ready? Roll it, Jerry. We got lucky number seven. Six... Any Hatebreed song by asked, asked by Jesse Weathers. I feel like Hatebreed is like a, a mean band. They don't sound nice at all. <laughs> yeah, what well, gave it away? Hatebreed? <laughs> <laughs> What's like the most popular Hatebreed song? Let's ask Google. Most popular Hatebreed. Oh, like, all right, I'm looking. I just I just went into YouTube and like the top songs have <laughs> Destroy Everything. Looking down the barrel of today, in the ashes they shall reap. Everyone bleeds now. <laughs> Jesus. Like, guys, this sounds like shining ray of optimism. <laughs> I bet it's all white blood. dudes. Is it all white dudes? Yes, all white dudes. All right, <laughs> like all white dudes. How can you be so mad? You're all white guys. Like, I think we gotta go with destroy everything. It's number one. Okay. I like that. I like that. Uh. I like that name too. You yeah, need a flawless, website. Why flawless not victory, right? yourself? Flawless Victory. Oh, that's Weeks. the name of the that's the name of the episode. Flawless Victory. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's check out what this song's like. Oh, this is a live version. Oh jeez. All right, this sounds actually. I can get down with this. It's all right. Yeah. I like it. I, I feel it's spitting for uh, Flawless Victory. Yeah. Oh no, he's screaming too much though. What is that? <laughs> Dude, this is the official music I bet, video. 
I bet he's got a really nice voice, and he's just not using. It. <laughs> he's got a voice like a little. He's like a little cherub. He just wants to be all angry. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Oh, awesome. All right. All right. Hey, thanks, Blake, for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Hell Absolutely. yeah. All right, guys, have a great night, and uh, I hope everyone has an awesome Monday. Jerry? Play us out with something sweet. It's so angry. It's an ape song. <laughs> Hail Satan! Oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.